may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. Global Star Radio Network. That's Global Star Radio Network, the place to be. As a matter of fact, Global Star Radio Network carries uh, Dave Hodges, carries Russ Dizdar, Ted Brewer, and and us. So we are in good company. We're actually humbled to be a part of that lineup. Uh, we're simulcast as well on BTR, Blog Talk Radio, and you can watch us live. Folks, are you doing it right now? Watch us live right here on YouTube, on our own YouTube channel. Links to each audio and video broadcasting venue can be found at our home base at the, on the internet at hagmanandhagman.com. I wanted to say thank you to, uh, Joe Charles. You know the music that you hear coming into the program? And, and that wonderful commercial, well, the, let me just back up here. The, the, the music that you hear during the breaks and the, and such. Joe Charles, uh, the music by Joe Charles, uh, my goodness, he's just such a talented man. And the, Excuse me, the graphics and, and what you see, uh, between JD, uh, Hopwood, Nep- Neptune Diaries, uh, and as well as Eric the Tech, those two, my goodness, what a team. And I just want to say thank you to all the people out there who are listening tonight, and thank you so much for that great, um, commercial that Joe Charles did, promotion for, for my book, Stained by Blood. And I, real quick before I bring anyone else on, I just want to thank everyone who has written to me, who has got, who received that book, and has written to me with their comments. Thank you so very much for your kind comments. You know, that was a very, um, and I just want to, I want to make a, um, kind of make a, a, a distinction here a little bit. Uh, that was 30 years ago when this happened, when I conducted this investigation, and I was no model Christian at the time. And there are some, you know, you, you read about it or you read the book and there's a curse word here and there. Okay. It's, uh, believe me, I kept it to a, a, a PG level when in fact it probably, well, in real life it was much different. But, um, I just want to say thank you, uh, to, to the people who, who understand that, you know, I had, I, before I became saved I, I, and, and a committed Christian, I lived my life differently. I, I used to, I used to drink at bars and I mean, it was just, you know, like that. So, um, 
I, I don't do that anymore. So I'm kind of I'm, I'm exposing my frailties through this book. You know, having a beer at a bar during a sting operation does not count as no. having a beer. No, I, I get that, but but you know, it just seems like uh, you know, my goodness, you you just you know, it was. Well, you know, but it was a cathartic experience for me to write this book, and I don't want to take too much more time. I just want to say thank you to everyone who has who has purchased it through Amazon and read it, and uh, the comments, and, and and you know what? If you if you read it, and uh, uh, if you want to leave a an honest comment at Amazon, that'd be great, or tell others about it. But thank you so much to each and every one of you. Thank you for your emails because uh, that was a kind of a painful time in my life, and. Uh, uh, so I exposed a lot there. So anyway, but welcome to Nice Broadcast. And, of course, I'm Doug Hagman at the helm with, with my son, Joe Hagman. Together we are the Hagman Hagman Report. we got a great show for you. I don't want to eat too much uh, more into our guest's time. I do want to mention that portions of Nice Broadcast brought to you by Whole Tones Live, WholeTonesLive.com. More on that later. But right now, Joe, let's bring on our guest. Yeah, the uh, host of The Common Sense Show, heard here on Global Star Radio Network, as you said. And I chuckled when you listed the lineup because the first thought that went through my mind is well they're not going to be on the air the satellite company uh, with the host like that uh but no dave is a great investigative journalist radio show host and writer and um he is joining us tonight to talk about a number of things uh we see you know the continuation of the intensity in news mm-hmm. and uh the agenda ramping up and we see the disinformation increasing we see the uh, response emotionally from humans, positive or negative, increasing. And we seem to be reaching a, a tipping point or uh, the climax, so to speak, before the big the big boom. Hmm. What do you have to say about that, Dave? Dave Hodges. Well, it is indeed going to be a big boom. Hey, I got a big boom for you before we get started, guys. Dave Hodges joined the 21st century. I got a YouTube channel. Oh, tell us about it, brother. I, uh, after years of being mired in technological ignorance, I finally relied on my 15-year-old son. <laughs> and I said, son, I have rewards. I have resources you don't at your young tender age. Create me a YouTube channel. And he did. And he did a terrific job. So just a few days ago, we began um, putting everything up. So if you just put in, uh, actually, I, I have an article on it that's in the carousel on the website of the commonsenseshow.com and it tells you how to get there it gives you the link and you can go there and I'd appreciate it if you'd go up there and it's going to serve as our archives I, I got to get with some more technical people though to figure out how you broadcast live etc cetera, etc cetera. but but I'm slowly but surely you know leaving the uh, gin lanterns behind and entering the 21st century with modern technology and I think it's going to make it a whole lot easier for my audience to follow me. Beautiful, man. I'll tell you, that's there's nothing like uh, a YouTube channel to get your to to get your uh, visuals across. And, and we're we're uh, hey, we're going to help you any way we can. So uh, go to go to thecommonsenseshow.com, and all the information's right there, right? Right there in the in the carousel, and it's announcing the endeavor and. So we're really, we're really excited, and that's not the last of the technological changes, but I don't want to mention too much to get ahead of myself because I put pressure on myself to finish. Oh, and yeah. God knows, he's my witness. Guys, we have so much going on right now. 
I don't know whether up is down or down or is up, or if it's Monday, Friday, Saturday, or upside down night, Sunday. There's so much going on right now, it's hard to keep everything straight. It is, and it's getting more and more difficult. We, um, uh, folks, uh, Dave Hodges has done so much with respect to his investigations, and especially about the, the, the social media mind control DARPA. Now, I know Joe has done a lot of work, and, and you and I spoke, Dave, this past weekend about, uh, or the last week, more accurately, about your findings regarding DARPA, mind control, the military side of things. Well, Joe, to, unbeknownst to you, Joe is doing the, the civilian side. You are doing the military side. Uh, I feel at this point like I'm just going to sit back and let you guys talk because, man, y- your findings with, you, you did a, an article last week and folks go to thecommonsensual.com and I'll, you've, you've got to take a look at what, uh, what uh, Dave Hodges has in fact uncovered and of course what he will uncover tonight in his expose. And if that doesn't get you going to the Common Sense Show almost on a daily basis, and I don't know what will, but, uh, uh, how do you want to start out with this, brother? I mean, th- th- this is like, uh, this is huge thing. Uh, you found some, Yeah, we got a carousel of topics. There's no question about that. But the mind control is a good place to start because they're ramping it up to levels that I didn't even know existed. Um, I've known about the Jose Delgado work going back to the early 1960s, and and what we see uh, is if you beam people with electronic frequencies, you can change their mood. It's old technology. People can see Jose Delgado's 1961 bullfight in which he controlled the bull to remote control electronic frequencies. Uh, this technology is almost 60 years old. God knows how far it's gone, but we know now they're even taking it to a higher level. Uh, the White House has a brain mapping project in which they're not just using electronic frequencies now to manipulate behavior. They're doing signal implantation into the cell membrane of a person, and this is where you could originate thought. This is where you could block honest reaction to an extra, uh, an outside stimulus. The, the technology, the fact that it can penetrate to the membrane level is incredible. And in the article that I wrote, um, it, I take up about a page with the cover of the project manual because it tells you who's involved. And this is where it gets scary. What are going to be the transducent agents? In other words, how are they going to send these signals into the cell membrane and be able to control your thought at the origination point? And if you look at the cast of characters they have in there, it gives you a pretty good hint. Of course, DARPA is involved. You would expect that. But what really caught my eye, and Joe, I'm sure it caught your eye too, is the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. I've been hearing rumors for years, and I think at this point we still have to consider this at some level to be a rumor, although the evidence trail circumstantially is growing warm. But I heard for years that they could attach these particular invasive molecules that can get into the cell membrane through the food supply, and in particular, GMOs. 
and you could marry the, uh, the GMO organism, which, which has an open-faced gene envelope. And if anyone's been following the research, one of the dangers on GMOs is because the GMO envelope is open, making it susceptible to host organisms such as viruses, diseases, cancers. And the fact that Roundup, one of the chief products of Monsanto in this endeavor, contains glyphosate, the potential for cancer is just you know, extraordinary. But back to the point of mind control, uh, could these food particles uh, that are GMO-oriented, because of the open gene envelope, be able to attach themselves to the cell membrane and incorporate it and take it over? And yeah, then Dave. could you have an electronic transducent created through ARP, Project ARP, which we know can affect mood from uh, satellite communications, over-the-horizon radar effects, electronics, and using the chemtrails as another conducting agent to transmit signals to these particles. Now, this is the theories that I've been talked to about by some of my insider sources. And I have to tell you, it's still controversial. But I will also tell you, as someone who has a fair amount of knowledge about how the human brain works, given my academic background, it makes perfect sense to me. Circumstantially, Doug, if someone put a gun to my head and said, yes or no, is this true? I would have to, at this point, say, this is true. And if they haven't Dave. fully developed it, they're right on the cusp. You are correct. It is the Food and Drug Administration Safety and Innovation Act. Section 1125 called Information Technology, where it states that uh, a milestone and a completion date for developing and implementing a comprehensive information technolo technology strategic plan to align information technology systems, modernizing projects with strategic goals of food and drug administration. And, and it goes on to say that these goals are... Um, what they want to do is the way the Food and Drug Administration plans to describe uh, their goals and monetize their pro projects is to uh, finalize um, these studies that they're doing through technolog technology systems through the FDA. And what they're going to do is integrate information technology systems into the food. And just like you said, and it goes on if you read... Um, as I said, the, it's the FDASIA Act, Section 1125. And in, in the milestones, it, it lists here that they're going to develop and implement a information technology plan to align the information technology systems with the strategic goals of the uh, FDA. Um, and in, this includes nanotechnology. And this is also includes, um, we'll take it a step further, medicine. There are nanotechno uh, nanotechnology in the medicine that we take, whether any prescription medicine. This is it has been the law since 2013. Um, you are so on the money. Let, let me digress just for a minute because I think this is a major point. Um, in fact, I gave an interview just today to a, a local, small local newspaper here, um, and they came to see me uh, at my lunch and. They wanted 10 minutes of my time, and we end up talking for 45. Um, and, and here's where the thrust went. Aren't you upset about GMOs and the fact that they don't have to label their foods? Yes, I have a right to know what goes into my body. 
aren't you upset that there isn't any verifiable, scientifically replicable research that demonstrates product safety when, in fact, actually the short list of studies that have been done, like the Seralini study, show that uh, when you feed nothing but GMOs to rats, by the time they get to puberty, they're hauling around tumors on the floor that are as big as the bodies. Uh, so we should be very concerned about GMOs and their secrecy and GMOs and the fact that we don't know what's going into our body or what the effects truly are. And for a long time, I thought, well, this is just a depopulation agent, the open gene envelope I just mentioned, and glyphosate like round, Roundup that causes cancer that opens the person up for cancer and they want to increase the cancer rates. It's a depopulation project. I think that's probably part of the agenda because we know the globalists don't do things with a singular goal in mind. But I also think, guys, that what we're looking at here is the bigger reason why they don't want research done, why they don't want to be labeled, is because of what Joe and I were just talking about. I don't think they want researchers like myself to stumble upon their mind control aspects with regard to GMO applications. You're, you're exactly right. Henry Kissinger, State Memorandum 200, uh, 1974, talks about removing nutrients from food to the point of starving people even though they'll have you know they could eat all day and we're seeing this uh exactly happen today I mean, you know i used to lecture on this when i used to give stress seminars and i talked about diet and health and i said really limit your fast food intake because it's very high in calories and very low in uh, nutrients so you could actually be a starving fat person yep. and this is what i used to advise people on on how to manage your stress and getting control you know of, of that aspect and you're talking about the same thing now joe across the entire food supply you know um at the here the watchman conference uh Josh Tully and I were sitting at the speaker's dinner across from each other and our uh, my wife was talking uh, to who he was with and she said that the studies she's done show that a salad 20 years ago, you'd have to eat 25 of today's salads to equal a salad nutritional value of 25 years ago. It's not unlike what the Nazis did to Jews in the concentration camps where they worked on the German war machine. They would have these people work six months, one year, two year tours of duty, but they would systematically starve them to death by gradually withdrawing nutrients and calories. I believe mm-hmm. this is what's happening to us. You know what? Let me, let me just jump in here and ask you this. If they're so intent on doing this, why why the slow, long, agonizing death? Why not just, um, I don't know, turn the lights out, EMP, um, so something sudden? Well, why I have some real something? strong feelings on this, uh, Doug. I think that the reason they don't is we're witnessing the last great American garage sale where they want to profit on our demise over a period of time. We still are useful to them at some level, but not necessarily in the long term. Also, too, the way that you harden resistance, I'll give you an example. I watched a documentary last night on the History Channel. I'm just kind of flipping around, going to see the news, and happened on the Battle of the Bulge, and these 28 men were stranded behind enemy lines. Their units pulled out, didn't tell them, and they had to wander around for about two weeks 
and there were thousands of Germans around them, and they found evidence of other POWs that had been captured and systematically tortured and executed. And what happened with these men, they said, we're going to die. We're going to shoot the last bullet in our chamber. We are never going to give up. And they basically became like commando raiders, like army rangers, and they did hit-and-run tactics. They stole German weapons, and they survived for two weeks, but they were determined after, like, the massacre at Malmody and the Battle of the Bulge. They were never going to give up. Well, I don't think that the globalists are coming after us for the same reason with this hardened approach at this point in time, for the same reason. They don't want to thicken our resolve. They don't want us to stand up in mass in unison like the country is beginning to do behind Donald Trump. They don't want to see that. So it's easier just to get rid of us covertly while they profit on our demise. Okay. And that does make sense. And you know that dovetails with many articles and many reports, really not articles, but reports that you've got on your website and have had on for a number of years. You know, it caught my attention last week about, uh, well, the uh, the report, the Joint Publication 313 uh, two the military information support operations where you said don't don't doubt the existence of FEMA camps and, and you know the I know that we're kind of talking in it not exactly with I guess I'm kind of digressing here but the bottom line is um, we're talking about the enslavement of the population but not just the enslavement I mean not just the physical enslavement but the um, the, the, really, the spiritual enslavement as well as the physical, but also, as you said, kind of the, the great uh, garage sale kind of thing, but uh, not unlike the uh, German uh, concentration camps as well. I mean, think about that mindset. This is what we're seeing, that mindset. That, that It's a consistent golden thread through all of the techniques and motives and means that they're doing right now. Uh, it's cra- I mean, that's just it's horrible. Okay. It's It's so... Disheartening. Yeah. It's so discouraging that we're looked upon with such low regard. Um, on a base level, Doug, what we're seeing, and this is what I described for these two reporters I met with today, on a base level, it's the corporations versus the people, and the corporations are using the power of government through legalized bribery called campaign donations to basically have their way with the people with regard to things like free trade agreements, sucking millions of jobs out of the country, illegal immigration, because you can't send all the jobs out of the country, then you send people in to undercut the wage and price structure to destroy the American economy, deculturize the United States as a result. Um, we're seeing all these things transpiring, and the corporations are doing this because they're making major money. Right. But at a higher level than the corporations, the guys who sit in the back room, remember the old X-Files show where they had this secret cabal that would meet to plan yeah. out the world's agenda and how yeah. they would run TV and how they'd run the corporations? Well, the people that do that, I, I call them the bastards from Basel, pardon the expression, Basel being referenced to the top level rung of international banking. When they sit around and have their meetings, this is where these agendas come from. The depopulation agendas to get us down to basically 10% of what we are in current levels. And that comes from that level. And they get the corporations, there are their marching soldiers to carry this out, and the corporations use their money to control government, to use the force of the police and the military and so forth to force compliance upon us. 
And that's really where we're at right now. In fact, this election cycle right now, I'm going to assume for the sake of argument, and I have reservations about saying this, that Donald Trump is sincere. For the first time since 1968, when America reached its high watermark with uh, manufacturing and exports, and then we started to go the other way, for the first time, we're having an honest dialogue and an honest debate, as much as the mainstream media that's controlled by the corporations will let us, about who's going to run government. Is it going to be run by the people? So therefore, you put a 35% tax on products leaving the country and then coming back in, so you keep them from leaving the country. That's the Trump proposal. Or are you going to let the corporation say, it's free trade, we'll make money, it'll trickle down, and we know it doesn't trickle. And as a result, whose agenda is going to be fulfilled? That's what this is about right now. This is why there's so many dirty tricks being played. Bernie Sanders, on one hand, is a thorn in Hillary Clinton's side. I don't endorse his solutions. They're as far out to lunch as they could be. I used to be a liberal when I was really, really young, and then I realized when I got to be about 21 I couldn't afford to be a liberal and save the world. But Bernie Sanders is doing a good job of program identifi- or problem identification. Uh, Ted, uh, Ted our, our, uh, uh, excuse me, Trump is doing a really good job of problem identification. Hillary Clinton is status quo. Uh, we know that Ted Cruz, with his wife Heidi, who was instrumental in the creation of the North American Union called the Security Peace Prosperity SPP. She was instrumental in NAFTA. She was a regional head of the Council on Foreign Relations, a regional vice president of Goldman Sachs. I mean, Ted Cruz is sleeping with the enemy of the American people, and he's been there right along with her. And then, of course, you know, Kasich was part of the system. Uh, Certainly Rubio, before he dropped out, he's part of the system. Um, We really have narrowed issues right now. This is an election year that defines everything we're talking about, whether it's mind control or GMOs or free trade agreements. But, guys, here's the beautiful thing about this election cycle. Donald Trump has managed to do in six months what all of us in the independent media, and we have some extremely talented people in the independent media, but he's done more in six months than we've done in the 10 years I've been in this business. Oh, okay. In terms of waking people up. Right. And and really, I want everyone to think about that because that's an important... Um, very important concept for people to understand. Right, and you have to start somewhere, and Trump is starting on that basic right-left paradigm. Well, well, there's going to be a civil war, guys. You see, see, uh, thank you. I can, okay, my sources a couple years ago, and you and I spoke, we have different sources saying the same thing. And you, you got mocked, I got mocked, everyone got, got mocked about this. Look, the civil war is coming. A war is coming. Oh, no, 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 no. You're just fear porn, doom porn. It's all BS. Look at where we're at today, man. And you make a great point about this. Um, how's this going to play out? Because I, I got some, I got some feelings that I'm going to, I want to bounce off you. Well, but here, here's here. the American people. Um, they, they know for a long time things have been wrong. We should, I mean, we have uh, adults, 40 year old adults working at two and three jobs where their parents didn't need to do that to survive. Mm-hmm. And they know it. And, and they're getting squeezed on all ends. Government's irresponsible. Uh, you know, I ask people who support Obama, I tell them, you obviously must not be in the middle class. Well, why do you say that, Dave? Because you couldn't name me one thing that man has done to help you in the middle class. Not one. There's not one thing we can point to. 
In fact, I can give you about a thousand things he's done that has undermined you in the middle class. And people are frustrated. They're angry. See, I don't think Donald Trump's a great leader. I don't think he's a good political leader. I think he's mediocre at best. But he's the right man at the right time filling a vacuum where people are saying, we want somebody, and he just happens to be the right man at the right time. And I will tell you this, he will not be the president. We can go through all those scenarios if you Mm -hmm. want. I've kind of worked them out in articles where I think this could be heading. He will not be the president. I doubt seriously he'll get the nomination. In fact, I'd almost be willing to bet my mortgage on it. But Donald Trump has already helped the American people win the presidential election because he has awakened so many people. And in the few months we got left before we get to the Republican primary, those numbers are going to increase exponentially. We have reached critical mass in terms of awareness in this country. And we have average people listening to me talk about these things in ways they never would have two years ago. People are awake now and not... 50%, probably I would guess anywhere between 25 to 35% of the people are awake, but that's critical mass, because this goes two, three more months, that could end up reaching maybe 50, 60%, and then the other side has a real problem, and I don't care who's elected president, you have already got the mindset that we're not putting up with this crap anymore. It's kind of a hell no, we won't go. Only the modern mindset is not about just going to Vietnam and winning a, uh, an illegal war or getting out of an illegal war, I should say. It's about now about being able to feed your family, have a roof over your house, be free from the terrorists that you're importing into the country while you call them immigrants. This is what has people's attention today. They don't want millions of jobs leaving the country. People know and they remember that in the 1960s, Detroit had the highest standard of living in North America. It was a model city of 2 million people. Today, we're tearing down entire neighborhoods. The population has shrunk to 700,000. Detroit police stations frequently close at 5 o'clock and they don't come out for anything major. The city services are terrible. There's lead in the water. And this is because of the free trade agreement. And people are finally realizing that they shouldn't just be talking about NFL free agents. They should be talking about free trade agreements. And this is what's happened in our country. And I have this is spreading like like smallpox or like Ebola. I've never seen, Doug, the people waking up this fast with people who would have rejected my message even six months ago. They now want to hear more and they can't get enough of what I'm telling them. And the revolution in the mind is already happening. Uh, Karl Marx says before there's a revolution against the corrupt establishment, you must have a shift in consciousness. And I submit the shift in consciousness is already well underway, and it's too late for CNN and Fox to put this genie back into the bottle. Amen. I, look, folks, go to the thecommonsenseshow.com, read the undeniable reasons why civil war is near. I... I must say I agree with each and every one of them. I agree with you. I, I agree with. It's just a matter. I, 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 you said a number of things here. We, we, boy, we got to talk. Trump will never be president. You said that, right? Yes. I, I I believe that as well. My wife looked at me when I said that today, and she said, "You've lost your mind." And, and I said, "Why?" Because. Here's the thing. He needs, uh, just delegate count wise. They're changing the rules on him. He won't get the, the majority of delegates. They're going to change the rules and, and, and throw someone else in there. That's one, that's one scenario. 
and there are less. Can we talk about that for a second? Sure. Because people say, I don't see how they can do that, Dave. He has the most. Well, let, let me address this just for a second. You know, Curley, I don't know who calls themselves Curley, who has a position of responsibility in the Republican Party, but he, he was speaking to a number of people. In fact, I saw one interview he did with Sean Hannity on Fox on one of the Super Tuesdays, and he said, you know, don't, don't count Trump in. He said, uh, the people aren't making the decision. We are. Hello? Hello. Well, why the hell are we voting? That was my first reaction to that. Why are we voting? But the Democrats are doing the same thing. And a lot of people don't realize that, but they have super delegates at, uh, in, uh, in Louisiana that had pre-pledged to Hillary Clinton. So here you have um, Bernie Sanders going to Louisiana. He wins about 75% of the vote, and he's not even walking away with a lion's share of delegates when it comes to the convention because they were pre-pledged to Hillary Clinton. Well, then why did the people in Louisiana vote? It's the same thing. And what, what the establishment's doing is what they do when they choose the chairman of the Federal Reserve Board. And what they do is this. The Federal Reserve submits five names to uh, the president. They have to choose from Federal Reserve people. And so out of that, he gets to pick one of the five. Well, what the Republicans and Democrats are doing now to the people, and this is going to help create a revolution, too, is what they're telling the people is, we don't care what you say. We don't care how you vote. You mean nothing. Shut up. Sit down. We will tell you who the vice president or the presidential candidate will be, the vice presidential candidate for both parties. You have no say. You choose from our people. And our people are the ones that are friendly to the corporations. You know, the ones that have been screwing you for the last 30 years with free trade agreements? That's what you're going to take. And that's what's going on. Now, when you get to the Republican convention this summer, they're doing away with a rule that says you have to have one, eight states, to be considered on the first ballot. Yes. The only ones who will have won eight states will be Lion Ted Cruz and Donald Trump. But I can tell you who the candidates are going to be. On January 30th, and I published this in an article on the Common Sense Show, still in the carousel, Mitt Romney <laughs> and Paul Ryan registered to run for president. People are not going to believe that, but it's right there. Folks, I, I put the document inside the article. Yep. I, and and it's, from, it's a government document. And I hypertext linked it. So it's double sourced. So the naysayers that go to Snopes and Snopes, they buy that disinfo from Snopes. Um, they, they can say, well, am I going to believe Snopes or am I going to believe my lion eyes? And I'm mentioning Snopes because Snopes said that was a bunch of crap, but I double sourced it. Yeah, exactly. I, I have traced because of you and, and folks. I, I'm. I just want to make this clear. Um, a lot of dots that 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 Joe has been working on and I've been working on. Uh, Dave Hodges has been working on as well. You know, he when we had a conversation last week, he had said a number of things, including touched on this. But how you know we're looking at this? I'm looking at this and thinking, how can this possibly be? But you're right. You. you this is all we're being gamed. I mean, uh, <laughs> and what you said, uh, <laughs> Dave, about the you know the delegates. That's one thing. The delegates are supposed to be. You know, this is part of being a representative republic, not a democracy. But in the 2000 election, presidential election, Bush versus Gore, there was a confusion. And I remember this because I was in 
my senior high school year, uh, and we took, I think that was the year I took the political class. Well, Al Gore won the majority of the uh, citizen vote. Well, the popular vote, right. right. The popular vote. And, and I learned then that the popular vote is not relevant to an extent. Now, they're taking it a step further with with Trump here um, to the point where they're actually changing the rules. And they, did, they did this to Ron Paul to an extent. They, they changed the venues. They changed, uh, you know, the ability for people to become delegates. But now they're just straight out changing the rules of the primary process. And a GOP insider uh, last week came out and said, your vote does not count. That's one scenario, though, right? Dave, I mean, I think that's the only scenario. Okay. I think that's how it's going to play out. I don't see a scenario where Trump wins unless he has twelve thirty-seven, and even if he has twelve thirty-seven, they undoubtedly have tricks up their sleeves. I mean, they're jetting in sixty globalists to meet with top politicians routinely. They have these strategy meetings. How do we get rid of this guy? Uh, they're not going to let it happen. And I will tell you, you mark this down and take it to the Bank of America. Even if enough Republicans stand up and stop the process, stop the illegalities, stop the fraud, Trump would be a dead man coming out of the convention. I just remember, I just want to remind everybody of Robert Kennedy. Don't run, Bobby. Your voters are too young. They don't care about you. They're 18 years old. This is when the voting age was still 21. And he kept winning and kept winning. And he dropped hints he was going to open his brother's murder investigation or reopen it. He was going to get us out of Vietnam. Well, that's what got his brother in part killed the, uh, himself. So what does he do? He wins the Democratic nomination in California. And at 10 minutes after, not even 10 minutes, five minutes after his acceptance speech, he's dead. That's right. And this is exactly what they're going to do. In fact, let me just remind people of the three major assassinations the last time we were at a crossroads in American history like we are right now. You had the death of John Kennedy, allegedly killed by Lee Harvey Oswald, a man with a diary. And then you had uh, Martin Luther King, who I've been told was killed as a killing of warning to Bobby Kennedy. He was killed three months before Bobby. And also Martin Luther King was against the Vietnam War because a disproportionate number of black people were being drafted and sent to Vietnam, and so it was a racial issue for Martin Luther King. And then you had, uh, who killed Martin Luther King? Oh, James Earl Ray, and what did he have? He had a diary saying what he was going to do. And then, of course, we have Bobby Kennedy killed by Saran Saran, who had a diary. Look for Donald Trump to be assassinated by a man with a diary. In fact, I remember sitting, you know, my dad was naval intelligence, and I remember sitting there, and we were watching the Tomorrow show on TV with Tom Snyder. Oh, yeah. And they had on a guy who claimed to be from the CIA, and they blacked out his uh, face and modulated his voice. And he said, well, whoever killed John killed Martin and killed Bobby, and it was the same M.O. each time. And I looked at my dad. I said, I think that's true. He goes, unquestionably. He said, we used to laugh about how stupid and how low-level the cover stories were. And I said, why would they do that? And he said, those were messages killings. It's kind of like today what we'd call the pillowcase over Justice Scalia's face. It was a message right. killing. That's why they were so sloppy uh, about it. They wanted people to know, if you step out of line, we can get to you, we can get to anyone, anytime, and stop your agenda. 
And that's yeah. what Trump is going to face. And if Trump is a sincere candidate, and I can give you 10 reasons why he's not, but let's assume he's a sincere candidate, uh, Trump may be one of the most courageous men in American history. Because he has to know. His advisors have had to point out to him the very things that I've just told you guys. Trump is a marked man. And I think if he's going to live to a ripe old age and enjoy his retirement with his beautiful wife, he needs to be defeated in the primary process. I don't see him surviving the lame duck. But let's assume he survives lame duck. Okay? Let's, he comes out of the, he's waiting to get killed, and he doesn't get killed. That's what I mean by lame duck here. So he, he cruises from August to November, and he defeats Hillary in the election, assuming you can overcome the Diebold voting machine fraud. Let's project into his presidency now. People think happy days are here again because Donald Trump is elected. Wrong. Who, who, who does he have to work with? He has to work with congressmen on both sides of the aisle who are in office because of corporate campaign bribes we call donations. The only way that Donald Trump, in my estimation, if he can overcome all these firewalls that are in his way to become president, <clears throat> excuse me, but the only way that he can get anything done as president is to make campaign contributions a national and local voting issue to where he tells the voters this is why you're in the mess you're in congress is owned they're owned by the corporations and if you need to tell your congressman you need to tell your city councilman your mayor your governor your state legislator that if they take one dime of corporate money you will vote out the incumbent and then you also need to make them pledge before they run for re-election to make it a class A felony to try to influence election with corporate money. Then you would have a responsive Congress because in that first two-year period, when you get to the midterm election, you would have the entire House of Representatives up for re-election. You'd have one-third of the Senate. He could make a heck of a dent in this process and the other two-thirds of the senate that wasn't up for election would probably acquiesce out of the peer pressure that would be involved in the intense media scrutiny now i think before trump would be allowed to do that if he was still alive he wouldn't be after this because let's look at what the corporations have they can send our jobs anywhere in the world they can bankrupt any of us they can control our diet our thoughts our money our lifestyle take away our civil liberties and they're making major bank on this the entire time they're doing it in what i call the last american garage sale they're not going to give this up they're going to do what they got to do to stay in power. They've worked too hard. I mean, if we go back to the Payne-Aldridge tariff debate in the Taft administration over 100 years ago, free trade was an issue then coming out of the Spanish-American War and preceding World War One. But things kept getting derailed. Then you had the Rockefellers start the Council on Foreign Relations in the 1920s with the same goal. They tried to hoodwink us into the League of Nations, which was going to be a supra-national organization to circumvent national sovereignty. Thank God for the congressmen and the senators who rejected that World War I treaty and rejected the League of Nations. And then they finally had their way after World War II with the United Nations. And then we see the creation of such groups as the Trilateral Commission, the Bilderbergers in the 50s. 
it's just been one concentrated move after another to get us in line, and they have raped the resources of this country. In fact, Doug, let me just say this real quick, because I think this is really important to know. In 1945, when we came out of World War II, we were the only nation, major nation, that was unscathed. France and Germany and most of Europe were in ruins. And you had Japan and a lot of China, they were in ruins. And the lone remaining nation was the United States. And we had 50% of the world's gross national product with only 5% of the population. We had 90% of all automobiles and telephones. And it was amazing. We dominated the world and not only that because of the Bretton Woods conference any industrializing nation that wanted oil had to first buy dollars from us to go do it and that made that old saying as sound as a dollar really mean something because our dollar was on pretty solid ground at that time but then the corporations realized I don't want to pay $20 an hour for a factory worker in Detroit plus benefits it's better to go to Guadalajara pay three dollars an hour without any tariffs at all and we have free trade agreements and now they're making even more money does this sound like a group that's going to let go of this because donald trump's come along (laughs) well let go of what they have killed for uh you know destroyed countless lives uh put above country put above people neighbors brothers Christ. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Our email is blowing up right now just at what you're saying, saying uh, from preach it to, to, you know, right on. And and no one is talking about what you're talking about. No one's reporting on what you're reporting about, or it's very limited. So I've I've got to give you an attaboy. But I, I... So are we to understand? I mean, in your scenario, wow. You just covered like like a whole program here. Well, let me throw in one more monkey wrench. Oh, oh, go, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, this is <laughs> this is U.S. history according to Dave Hodges, but it's accurate. From a, a period in this social 101 book, sociology 101 book, I taught from, uh, written by a guy named Hensley. Um, he has a chart in there, the worth of the dollar, and it's such a telling chart. And he doesn't really tell you why. But if you know your history, you know why. From 1800 to 1913, with a few dips and a few up and downs and a few recessions and a depression, in that time, the dollar was still worth a dollar after 113 years. And then we had the Federal Reserve boys come in, and it was the third attempt. The Federal Reserve is actually the third national bank. First national bank died a natural death. Washington made a mistake by listening to Hamilton. Madison and Jefferson were right, and they marshaled enough public opinion. The first national bank went away. And then the second national bank was forced upon Andrew Jackson by the globalists of the day, the Rothschild family and so forth. They even tried to assassinate him, and he stood his ground. He took all the money out of the federal Congress and put them in the State Bank of Maryland and made their national bank, the second national bank, die a natural death. And then you have the third national bank, which we call the Federal Reserve, and they finally got it done. And they got better at it as they went. And a dollar was worth a dollar until 1913. Today that dollar is worth three cents. That's what these globalists have done to us. They have sucked the life out of American productivity. And the free trade agreements did the same thing on steroids. I mean, they, it, it grew, the, the rate of the rape of the American people grew exponentially as a result of this. 
we used to support our government on tariffs and excise taxes. We did not have a national income tax until 1913. Now, how was it that America, which had already turned into a, an industrial giant in the 1880s, 1890s, early 1900s, how was it we could support this massive expanding country with no income tax? Well, that's because we didn't have deficit spending. We were on the gold standard. And, of course, the globalists worked to get us off the gold standard, and Roosevelt finally did it for them in 1932 and made it illegal to own gold. We don't need to have a national income tax. But, see, the globalists were working towards, were they working towards? They were working towards free trade back in the early 1900s. They didn't want Mm -hmm taxes on tariffs because they knew after the Spanish-American War when they got Guam and the Philippines and this and that they could have people make their products cheaper and they knew this and they've tried all this time to get it done and finally under H.W. and then Bill Clinton they got NAFTA in and Mm -hmm. and I was talking about this when it happened I'm not even an economist this is what's embarrassing for this country my, you know my academic background, psych, social, research, stats. That's my academic background. I am not an economist. But I looked at NAFTA, and I said, why in the hell are we taking the tariffs off of imports? This is encouraging these corporations to go overseas. We're going to lose millions of jobs. And my wife reminded me that I said that, and I was upset about that back in the early 90s. I don't understand, Doug, how we could be so stupid. And then what was a lie they told us? By the time that uh, uh, George W. got into office, he's saying, well, we don't believe in protectionism. Yeah, we don't believe in protecting the American people is what he's saying. And besides, we don't have to worry about manufacturing any longer, like we're never going to fight another war and need uh, prolonged manufacturing of war goods. We're going to become a knowledge economy, whatever that was. (laughs) (laughs) This is how we got to where we are. We don't even need an income tax. If we put tariffs on the products coming in, China would be building up our economy all by themselves. Right. Right, but but see, people don't get that, and, and and ladies and gentlemen, this is why we, this is why we need to look back in history. Well, okay, so is this why we're not hearing much about the TPP? I mean, what's your feeling about the TPP? Is yeah, that where's relevant? that gone? Well, exactly. Yeah, Megan Kelly has developed selective amnesia. <laughs> Sorry, TPP was good. I talked about it with my pretty blonde hair and smiling blue eyes. TPP is good. Now that Donald Trump's on the uh, free trade agreements, we can't let people know the TPP is another free trade agreement that makes NAFTA look like uh, it's calm and our friend. Right. I mean, the TPP destroys the power of the federal government. It destroys the power of the Supreme Court to enforce the Constitution and to protect our civil liberties. They don't want that out there. Not now. Not with what Trump is doing. Mm. If I can, I want to quote this. This is from a paper uh, from 1994, I believe. Uh, Actually, later than that. This is from Richard Haas. Uh, This paper is titled World Bank Seminar Series Global Issues Facing Humanity. And uh, it says, in recent article in Foreign Policy Magazine, Richard Haas, president of the CFR in New York, wrote the following. 35 years from now, sovereignty will no longer be a sanctuary. Powerful new forces 
and indigenous threats will converge against it. Nation-states will not disappear, but they will share power with larger number of powerful non-sovereign actors, uh, including corporations, non-governmental organizations, terrorist groups, and drug cartels. It goes on to say that the regional and global institutions, banks, private, uh, will fall victim, as well as sovereignty, to the powerful and acceleration of uh, flow of ideas, people, uh, goods, dollars, drugs, viruses, and so on and so on. And it goes on to say that these same forces will change the concept of sovereignty in a whole range of global issues, ushering in a system of global governance under which it states, under the system of global governance, number one, uh, as I make my way down here, that uh, in order to do this, you need to make international agreements. And this is what you talked about, international uh, treaties, signed by countries and corporations in order to set up a we can't have one nation you know that is super rich and and the rest of the nations that are poor they're saying this is the solution to global poverty well yeah we we, they've they've got to take us down to the third world status while Mm -hmm. raising other enrich other people but other countries but but the bottom line is this this blueprint is now what we what what you've spoken about what you've written about for the last 10 years and and i tell steve quell this all the time i mean he was right 20 years ago he he's even more right today and people yes you know it's just your people are just catching up to what you've written about and and what you've spoken about And, and now people are saying wow this is real and now I think it's they're looking at this with the doe in the headlights look saying what do we do about this but um, yeah okay this is crazy we're almost at the top of the hour we've got so many emails saying basically saying that this is incredible information that you've uncovered people looking at your at your various reports on your website thecommonsenseshow.com um, I gotta tell you this one of the most chilling photographs I think on your website or on your within your articles is the um one where you have trump his um the the um uh, his picture next to the kennedy car um something about that just really sent a chill up my spine when i saw that that was under your recent stories the intended Uh, message hey let me ask joe a real quick question if we have time joe that piece that you just read me about uh nation states relationship to Mm -hmm. uh corporate power when was that written um, let me see here. This that was by Richard Hawes, and I think oh, no, that was a quote from. Uh, and I'd really like to talk about that when we come out of the break. Uh, th- that's a whole mindset I think that people need to understand. It's a guiding way of thinking for where we're going, and I think it's real important that we cover that. Okay, uh, here I have this. It's uh, I don't know when it was written. It's not dated. It is the World Bank Seminar Series: Global Issues Facing Humanity by Doctor. Uh, Vinay, uh, Director of International Affairs at the World Bank. Uh, okay, I'm going to guess he wrote that, wrote that in the 90s. Yeah, it sounds like well, the 90s. It, it, Justification it like of the NAFTA and so forth is what it sounds like to me. But they have uh, citations from the 2000s, early 2000s also. Okay, all right. So, so I'm off a few I'll years. I'll send this off to you. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's very interesting. I, I've, I'm familiar with the concept. I've never heard that document per se. But I think when we come out of the break, we should probably talk about a movie that was made in 1975 called Rollerball. <laughs> we'll be right back, folks, with Dave Hodges. Stay with us. This is the Global Star Radio Network.
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the second hour of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Our very special guest, Mr. Dave Hodges, thecommonsenseshow.com. New look, always great information. And you know what, folks, if you like what you're hearing tonight, research, investigation, it doesn't come cheap. It comes at a price. Definitely support our guest. Just go to thecommonsenseshow.com and uh, support our guest via his website. There, you'll see where you can you can support his research. Extremely important, I believe, that we keep all of the people who are giving the the, the truth out there. Uh, we keep them uh, really in in uh, uh, you know oatmeal and milk, basically. That's what we're that's what we're out here doing. So please support Mr. Dave Hodges as well as Katie Whalen. Um, you know she's she's having a tough tough time and um uh she needs your support as well so there's many many areas of, of many people deserving of your support before we get back to our guest dave hodges I want to mention that the my life has been revolutionized really by one of our great sponsors that's wholetoneslive.com you know it's at, at times we really have find ourselves in difficult stressful situations it seems like more and more if you're living life today you're in you're in all all sorts of stress and if you're sick and tired of being stressed if you're sick and tired of being overwhelmed and unmotivated if you feel like your life is running you rather than the opposite you're not alone we feel the same way but now you can experience the scientifically proven powers of music therapy with whole tones that's wholetonesalive.com they've got a collection of proven music therapy that yeah. can help reduce stress ease your mind and motivate you you know what, when you were saying how, how when you listen to it, 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 it does those things, eases your stress, relaxes you, it, immediately I thought of bringing a boombox in, like one of those old boomboxes from the 80s people used to carry around on their shoulders. So, you know, when you, you, have an when, you get, for that? when you get a little pouty, I can hit, yeah, hit no. play and, and, and we'll be good. Well, I'll tell you, it, it, it does make, uh, it, my, my, our lady, the studio dog, actually responds to it. And we had, uh, Michael Terrell on here not too long ago talking about, the research findings, his research findings, what inspired him to produce whole tones. And he explained how the music was inspired by the music frequencies of King David. I will say it works. We, we got numbers of emails saying, well, one email in particular saying I started playing whole tones throughout my work day and I was, became more creative, more motivated. The work was, work I was doing seemed easier and much clearer. So visit, go to the website, download, Free sample at wholetoneslive.com. That's wholetoneslive.com. And you can support this broadcast. You can support the Hagman the Hagman Show by going to wholetoneslive.com. That's wholetoneslive.com. Wholetones with a W. Wholetoneslive.com. Before the break, we were, we were talking to Dave Hodges and we still are, but Richard Hawes, he just happens to be a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. Not just a member, yeah. but the 13th year, well, 13th, 13th. Yeah, he's celebrating, <laughs> celebrating indeed his presidency, uh, as the president of the Council on Foreign Relations, among other things, and his expertise is in foreign policy and international security, globalization, Asia, Middle East. Dave, you wanted to talk about Mr. Hawes, that document that Joe mentioned. Go for it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's so indicative of justification of where we're going. They thrust forward and then they backtrack to justify what they've done. And that paper was a justification. What it's basically saying is don't worry about your job that left the country. It's okay. We'll take care of you. And uh, we've seen how well that works. 
you know, forget Obama's nonsense when he says there's 4% unemployment. I think he's saying it's 4.4 now. It's not even that he's lying. It's the way they count it. Let me give you an example. If I sold real estate, and even if I never sold a house because I have a license, they count me as employed. Same as if I cut hair, if I go off uh, workman's comp, or I go off unemployment, it's assumed I've got a job, and that's not true. Uh, I've interviewed John Williams from Shadow Stats, and I've also um, interviewed a number of economists. I I have to tell you guys, they all say the same thing. The unemployment plus underemployment, people that want to work full-time that can't, is about 23 to 25% in this country. We have 100 million people out of work. So when I hear stuff like what Joe just read, it makes me go crazy because it's so filled with lying justifications. And let's remember... Lie and Ted Cruz's wife was a big part of that. And people get mad at me when I say, you know what, I don't even care about Cruz's infidelities. As a Christian, I'll make up my own mind what I think about it. But I don't care to make it a campaign issue. I don't care if he had sex in the bathroom of his campaign bus or on the floor of whatever place they were talking about. I mean, some pretty tawdry stuff came out. I don't care. What I care about, he's sleeping with the enemy. Heidi Cruz. And he's a globalist. And he's going to continue to sell out of the American people. And he's held a Senate position all this time because he takes corporate money. So, you know, when I hear that, pay, oh, guys, I want to mention one thing, too. Okay? And I should have mentioned this in combination with Trump waking people up. For a long time, I ventured into the dens of Facebook. Now, to quote my friend Steve Quayle, your friend Steve Quayle, I loathe Facebook. True word, Steve. I totally agree with you. I go there because Jesus walked among the sinners. I go there to try to wake up people who are unenlightened as to what's going on. And Facebook increasingly censors me. They can have an assassination page on Donald Trump, and Zuckerberg is fine with that. But the minute you mention Hillary Clinton's emails, they ban you for two weeks off of their site. So I want to tell people, now more than ever, because we have millions of new people waking up and people don't, who don't have a real sophisticated understanding of the new world order, but they know things aren't right, they need to be educated, they need to have a social media site that they can go to and commiserate with people of like mind, we have such a place now. And I am so pleased to be able to talk about this because we don't have to go to Facebook anymore. There is a group called Scene.is and you go on it, you think you're on Facebook. The platform is eerily similar, but there's no censorship. They tell you right there, you can't threaten people, can't threaten violence, can't sell illegal things, but other than that, you're allowed to express any opinion you want to as many groups as you want, as often as you want, as long as you're not violating the rights of others, you're allowed to do that. It's called scene.is. And that's that's the website. So don't look for the .com or the .net. It's seen.is. Because now that Trump is waking up all these people, I'm sure you guys agree with me, we need to have a gathering place for people. And I think this is what is sure ain't Facebook. <laughs> and that's why I've thrown my weight behind scene.is. And, and I'm not, you know, getting paid advertising spots for this and stuff. I'm doing it because I believe in it. It's scene.is. 
and it's going to be the new Facebook. And in fact, uh, I was talking to the one of the owners of Scene.is yesterday, and they did a Facebook media blitz. Oh, and Facebook shut them down and banned them so quickly you wouldn't even have believed it. But uh, anyway, guys, that's what one thing I wanted to make sure I threw in. And the other thing to the people in the audience, with Donald Trump and to some degree Bernie Sanders, I want to give Bernie his due for good problem identification. Uh, we have millions that are going to be listening to us. They'll listen to you at your dinner table, on your radio show, if you write your blog, or just in casual conversation on the bus. We have an obligation right now to become teachers. And remember, with teaching, you don't want to overwhelm the pupil. You have to meet the student at the level they're at, and they may only understand one issue. That's okay. Work with them on that issue. Listen to what upsets them and talk about what upsets them, not what upsets you. And then gradually, as I like to say, there's many different entrances into the knowledge of the house of the new world order. You can come in through a window, through the attic, through the garage, through the front door, the back door, but help people get into that house by being a good listener and facilitating their concerns and they can see they're not alone because this is how we can continue the good work that Donald Trump has started and then send them over to scene.is where they can have people of like mind to commiserate with. And just to be clear, ladies and gentlemen, seen as in I've been seen drinking coffee, okay? Seen, S-E-E-N dot I-S. And that's just to be clear. Uh, it's very, uh, yes, uh, an alternative to Facebook indeed. Dave, before we go any further, I want to address something that you mentioned that needs to be clarified, okay? Uh, got a couple of emails. One of the emails is from Carol. And uh, the subject is this, Judge Scalia's death. And, and she writes this, and we do need a clarification on this. Uh, she writes that uh, that she listens to us, and the second time that she's heard someone say that a pillow was over Scalia's face. Okay, and she writes. Well, I, I read an account, or I read the account of the situation real soon after it happened, and became known um, after it happened and became known, and they very plainly stated that the pillow was behind or above his head, not over his face. Now, before you answer this. Okay, uh, and I'll, I'll give you the plenty of opportunity. Just, just to Carol, he, he, here's what, here's what my source at the county level gave me. Uh, it was definitely over his head. However, whether it fell from a position above his head or whether it was placed there deliberately, he said, I don't know. Now, one other comment, and I'm going to toss it to you. When we, when we, when I first got information about this, which was contemporaneous with the with the public announcement, this information was it was it was publicly reported. And then it was then it was kind of taken, walked back a little bit. It wasn't reported anymore. Then it came out again. Here's my here's my assertion on this: for this to be mentioned, and I've 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 attended a number of death scenes unattended death scenes I've responded to in my capacity and I've also investigated a number of them in 30 years as an investigator for somebody to mention the placement of a pillow and that pillow being in in like between the head and the headboard the decedent's head and the headboard along with you would not mention that right I mean 
Well, well right, but but the, just let's no. talk about the pillow just for right. a second. You would not you would not reference the positioning of the pillow. I don't care who you are unless you were doing a detailed crime scene report or thought it was important as a reporting. Right, right. So that's why I'm in insistent upon the report that this pillow was not above his head, not between the headboard and his head, but a factor that had to be stated and was relevant to the scene of death. What's What say you, Mr. Hodges? Well, my takeaway is just what you concluded with. Okay. And... Um, we, you know, we weren't there, and we're right. relying on the word of third-party sources. Both of us are. But here's what we know for sure: the required protection for a Supreme Court justice is a federal marshal. Where was he? Why wasn't there an autopsy done on a senior government official? The death was suspicious. Why wasn't there an autopsy? Why was a local judge allowed to make a decision about a senior federal official having an autopsy? That's like a right. corporal leading an army into battle. That's right. So when we look at this, we can agree there were extreme irregularities. It reminds me of Kennedy's car going into Dealey Plaza being the lead car, which is in total violation of all Secret Service protocols. It's just as egregious what happened with Scalia. So, I mean, how far was the pillowcase encroached on his head or into his face? We really can't be sure. And I almost use that now as the metaphor to illustrate a cover-up at a murder scene, as much as I'm trying to be accurate to within two or three inches or four inches of wherever that pillowcase was, if you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> Very well said. Very well said. Okay, I just wanted to address that because, again, a couple of people, and, and thank you, Carol, for, for that, because we do want to be very clear. And, and you know, you'd mentioned, too, the lack of autopsy. In, in, every, in every case I've, I've ever attended uh, as an investigator, if it, does, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't matter if there was an unattended death, even, even with the family's, even if the family objected they would overrule the family with dignity, of course, yet do the autopsy. Or at least take tissue samples, blood samples, and a number of things in the event something came up later, especially in this case. And that judge at the time, Cinderella, whatever her name is, knew and even stated as much that uh, that their county was a part of history. So it's rather interesting they didn't follow protocol. But I don't want to get bogged down with that. But thank you, Carol. Thank you, John. Thank you, Brian, for your emails on that. Okay, Dave, t take us where you want to go, because man, target-rich environment, headline-wise. Well, let's talk about Rollerball. Yeah, and oh, not yeah. the recent you know, rendition. I think it was circa 2012. I'm talking about 1975, James Caan. And I've seen the movie twice. I saw the movie as a, as a young man who prided himself on being a good athlete, and I saw the, the rollerball sport within the movie as like NFL football, how exciting is this? And I got caught up in that moment when I first saw the movie. It was my own maturity and where I was at with my own development. Then I saw the movie again, oh gosh, what was I, late 30s, early 40s, and I saw the movie entirely differently. And in the movie, six corporations had supplanted nation, nations, nation states. Yep. 
and and there was no constitution. In fact, the star of the movie, James Caan, uh, played a character called Jonathan E., who was the Michael Jordan, LeBron James of his sport. And they wanted him to retire because his individuality was becoming a problem for the corporations that wanted everyone to be the same and not have attention called to themselves. And Jonathan, he had actually lost his wife to a city engineer in Rome who was higher on the corporate pecking order, so he was allowed to steal Jonathan's wife in the movie to show you really how depraved this corporate society had become. And they actually gave her back to him in exchange for his retirement, which he later reneged on. And the reason I'm getting into such detail is I wanted to illustrate how someone in 1975, who Lord knows they were 40 years ahead of their time in writing this particular script for a movie, saying what happens to the morality and the civil liberties and the social order of a society that lets amoral corporations make moral decisions and govern people's lives. And see, in the movie, you almost have to assume the following. At one point in the history leading up to the movie, if you were to have this be a real event, you had the corporations dominating government, and they used government for the force of their own power. They could use the FBI, the CIA, the Army, the Navy to enforce corporate will, which is what we see happening today. Eventually, you would assume in this rollerball scenario, uh, progressing this through sociologically, that the corporations would be able to manage their own army, their own navy, their own nuclear weapons. And this is what we're beginning to see today with private armies that are corporate dominated. And this is the direction we're headed in. We are headed into a rollerball scenario with a TPP in particular, where governments are going to be no more than figureheads and will use their resources as long as they're useful. But I can see in a generation or two of corporate domination that nation states won't even exist and will all be working for the corporation. And before people wrinkle their nose up at me and say, Dave, that could never happen, I'm submitting to you. It happened in the 1800s. It's still happening today. It's called the corporate or the company mining town. This is what we're headed for on a global scale, in my opinion. Yes, let's all stand, ladies and gentlemen, for the corporate hymn. Um, ladies and gentlemen, yes, will you please stand for the playing of our corporate hymn? There was a line. A position, Doug. <laughs> yeah. Well, I won't elaborate because this is a family show. <laughs> but I don't think they have standing in mind. Uh, uh, well, exactly. That was a line from the movie, as was um, Bartholomew, a character. Uh, John Hausman played uh, Bartholomew. And he John was, Hausman. Yes. He was in that movie, The Rollerball, and doesn't he look like David Rockefeller? very much. He even talked like him. <laughs> I think he used the clips of Rockefeller as as a uh, a study so he could get it right. Well, it, it was it was interesting because one of the quotes that the Hausman said was the game, meaning rollerball was created to demonstrate the futility of individual effort. And I thought, yes. man, okay, so that's what we're having. And the year by the way, the year that this uh was taking place was 2018 at least at 1975 that's what they said 2018 was the year 
Yeah, right. And, you know, you even see this in our modern sports today. One of the things that I bemoan as a former football, basketball, baseball player in my youth is that they've taken all the fun and, and all the manliness out of the game. You know, when I played, I played both ways in football uh, when I was in high school, but I, and I played a lot of strong safety, and which is like an outside linebacker. And when a receiver would cross my face in the pattern, and they hadn't thrown the ball yet, I was going to deliver the biggest slobber knocker to him I could, and I didn't want him to get up. Now, I wasn't trying to kill anybody or maim anybody, but that was the nature of the game. And they did that from the NFL on down to high school when I played. Today, you can't do that. And and uh, the chop block, I mean, chop block was part of football. They've now taken that out. And baseball. I hit two home runs in my, home, in my baseball career. It tells you how good I wasn't. And uh, both times I came up to bat, after that, I got thrown at. One time I got hit in the head, right on the helmet. And you know what? I didn't rush the mound with my baseball bat in hand wanting to beat the pitcher up. Um, I just you know, pulled myself up and kind of shook off the cobwebs and walked down to first base. Today, you throw the pitcher out for that. And, and then in, in football, when you used to score a touchdown, you know, you could dance around and have a little bit of fun. You know, not be an idiot, but enjoy the moment. I mean, it was a special moment. Or if you dunked a basketball, you get to celebrate going down the other end. Today, it's a technical foul. In football, if you celebrate in the end zone, it's an unsportsmanlike conduct. Uh, football, I mean, basketball used to be incredibly physical when I played. Today, I look at it, I feel like, gosh, I was in high school. I might have scored 100 points if people couldn't put their hands on me. And and we've sissified society. We've taken manliness out of our games. We're trying to create a bunch of metrosexuals. And then we have also taken the fun out of sports. We don't want people to enjoy their activities that much, the individuality, the individual joy. And before you say, well, Dave, why are you focusing on sports when we're talking about the new world order? Well, I just want you to know that every major league franchise, from football to soccer to baseball to hockey, all of them, all of them have pledged their arenas and stadiums to DHS in times of national emergencies. You remember those scenes from the Superdome and Hurricane Katrina? If we go major FEMA camp incarcerations, that's where a lot of people are going to go. That's where the overflow will go, as well as some of these shopping malls that we should probably revisit again in this conversation will go as well, too. The, when we look at society, Doug, and, and the one thing about getting older is you've got the advantage of perspective over a historical period of time. We have taken joy out of our society. We've certainly taken Christ out of our society. We've taken manliness out of our society. Why? Because it adds up to mindless compliance. And and there it is. Bend over and take it. Not only that, enjoy it. That's and I, I don't want to be crude. Yeah, right. But um, yeah, I got, we have a lot of people wanting to know if um, if you if they could borrow fifteen hundred dollars in cash from you. Um, <laughs> I'm one of those people too. Yeah. Um, so oh, so well, I'm sorry that uh, money was spent. Uh, yeah, uh, and we also want to know if um, uh, if. Uh, <laughs> In case you don't know what we're talking about, folks. And then another topic, and, and the commonsenseshow.com is Dave Hodges' website. Uh, a funny thing happened to Dave Hodges on the way to a very controversial topic. And, of course, he writes in uh, his his stellar website where he stopped at Bank of America, wanted to withdraw 1500 bucks, 
and basically said, uh, the, the, well, I mean, if you want to tell the story, go ahead, because I think yeah, this yeah. is... Yeah, you know, I get a discount when I use cash for certain payments, sure. and it's all perfectly legitimate, very above board, right. uh, but it's no one's damn business what I'm doing. Right. And uh, so I'm, I'm in the teller line, and they ask me, and I said, uh, uh, this doesn't meet the CTR requirements. You do not have a need to know, and it's none of your business. And CTR is a cash transaction report that if you withdraw $10,000 from the bank, you're required to fill out a CTR report. And if your bank doesn't have you do it, and I had people write to me saying, my bank doesn't have me do it, and I took out 15000 your bank broke the federal law. Okay, it's a CTR report requirement. And uh, they don't like what they see. They then file an SAR, which is a suspicious activity report with the IRS, saying, we think you might have a money launderer, drug dealer, or whatever here, so you might want to check this guy out. Well, I'm not putting my name on any list for 1500 um, because I didn't meet the, the threshold and the criteria. I don't need to draw that kind of attention. And they can't do an SAR without a CTR. They'll just refuse to give you the money. Okay, so I was not about to put myself in a potential SAR situation, have my accounts frozen, people showing up at my house, and so forth. So to hell with that. And she went and got her teller. And, uh, you know, we kind of went around the uh, the tree and do what dogs do when they go around trees. And um, I eventually told him, I said, hey, you got five minutes to give me my money, or I'll be back here tomorrow, and my money will go to where I house my business account in a credit union. People say, Dave, why don't you have a credit union? I do. I have two of them. But I also don't put all my eggs in one basket, folks. And if you were smart, I don't keep all my money in the bank. I've got precious metals. I've got survival supplies. Um, I keep enough in to transact my businesses. But um, I don't keep all my money in one bank. I think that's foolish because history shows all banks don't go broke on the same day at the same time. They might this time, but in the past, they have not. So then you kind of find out who's open. At least you can get some of your money out because that bank holiday is coming. And it says something, too, about how cash-strapped this bank was because the VP comes out and and starts uh, telling me how he can shut down my account and this and that and the other. And then uh, I I gave him the, you don't know who I am, do you? I have over 2 million people who have contact with my work during the course of a week. At least that's from a PR firm that wanted to buy my website from me. That's what they told me. Their numbers told them. And uh, I just said, uh, so, you know, we can decide how messy and how ugly we want this to be. And I said, but I didn't sign any form because I've broken no law and I've not approached your threshold of CTR reports. And then I turned that article into a how-to get your money out of the bank. You're going to buy precious metals, pay for it out of your money. That way you don't have to mess with the feds. And uh, they don't have to give you your money, by the way. There was a court decision, I believe, out of federal court out of Chicago that said that, uh, I think it was 2011, 2012, they said, when you deposit your money in the bank, it belongs to the bank. That's right. You're giving a gift to the bank when you put your money in the bank. And people need to realize that. And that's why I tell people, do not, do not, do not, do not do automatic deposit if you can avoid it. Um, We've got some automatic deposits that we engage in, and I need to extricate myself from these. Because that way you go up to cash your check, you keep a lot of your cash. There's nothing they can do about that. They get the whole thing, they decide if and when you get it back. And I'll tell you why people should be concerned. In November, it was November 10th of 2014, uh, Janet Yellen and other officials like Jack Lou, Secretary of Treasury, went to London, worked with a bunch of people over there on international bank failures of the major banks. That was uh, November 10th. That by itself didn't get my full attention until November 20th, 
when they had the G20 conference in Brisbane, Australia, and they said, uh, we're going to kind of reorder how we do money. First of all, when you go back to your home nations, make sure they pass laws that say that when you put your money in the bank, it's really not bank. You're a secured creditor. That's it. And by the way, the people who have credit swap derivatives debt, they get paid off first. You get paid off last. And when you consider the fact that the FDIC that insures our money only has 1.2% of the money on hand uh, to compensate people, when the banks fail, folks, you are not going to see a dime. Forget bail-ins and negative interest rates and the haircut, as they speak about. You are losing everything when this goes down. And you can take that to the bank, pun intended. So that's how I took my experience uh, and turned it into an information article to tell people how to deal with their bank. You walk in and you say, well, I'm not going to worry about taking out 10000 I'll just take out 8000 for five months. Well, that's another violation of federal law. That's called structuring. And what that means is that uh, you're trying to get around the $10,000 report requirement on the CTR, and the feds will come and get you. They will seize everything you own if they catch you doing that. And the fine is $100,000 in five years in prison. Yeah, yeah, they don't take uh, lightly to that. I I was kind of kidding around. Uh, Well, I shouldn't say kidding around. I I, I was wanting to see uh, if I could – I wanted to see what what – if I could get money out of the bank and how much. I, I went into a branch I don't usually deal with, uh, so the tellers don't know me. And I said, I, I went up to one of the tellers and I said, you know, what do I need to do if I want to withdraw, and I use this figure, $7,500 in cash. And uh, she said, you want to withdraw $7,500 in cash? I said, no. I mean, if I, could I, if I wrote a check, could I you know, have my $7,500 in cash? And she never asked me if I had $7,500 in the account. I don't. But she said, well, you'd have to order it. And I said, order what? She said, the money. And I said, well, why? You're a bank. Well, all of the money is, is we lend it out into the community. I said, well, yeah, you know, how, how does that work? But, I mean, I, the bottom line is I didn't have, I did not write a check for saying. But and I got a question. Is, 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 that, is that close? I mean, they don't have well, here's why you got the answer you did, and I doubt that your teller knew this, but um, the uh, the banks are allowed to work on what's called fractional reserve banking, which means for every dollar that crosses an account that we deposit, they can loan out way above that, and usually it's a nine to one ratio. Although I've even heard of it being as high as a hundred to one in some cases for certain kinds of loans. So let's say you put a dollar in the bank. The bank has been able to create nine computer digits that represent a dollar, and they put that out into the community. So if you come in and you take out $1 from the bank, you're really taking out $9. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's why that's why they're so sensitive. But also, too, now, with the credit swap derivatives debt, well, see, let's back up. When we had the credit swap derivatives that led to the bailouts, in fact, everyone needs to see that movie, what's it called, The Big Short? Everybody oh, yes. needs to go see that movie and pay attention to the last 30 seconds where the censors wouldn't let them verbalize the warnings about what's lying ahead. They had to put it into print right at the end of the movie. I'm sure that was the work of the censors. They go see the big short. I also know it's now out on the TV movie channels because I saw that when I was uh, strolling the other day through the channels. The um, When the credit swap derivatives caused our economy to buckle and it led to, quote, the need for the bailouts, um, 
that basically destroyed the cash supply because what they did when they did the credit swap derivatives, they had to have, by by uh, the laws of the stock market, Securities and Exchange Commission, they had to have the banks underwrite the credit swap derivatives. So in other words, they had to have a guarantee of someone who would back this up. So whether it was Merrill Lynch or B of A or Wells Fargo, well, let me give you a figure. The Federal Reserve has guaranteed B of A to be backed up for $78 trillion on credit swap derivatives. In other words, if they buckle because of it, we got to pick up the tab. And I think it's around $75 trillion for Wells Fargo. This happened around five or six years ago. Now, what's really telling about this is that there's not $78 trillion of cash in the economy. Now, on computers there is, but real hardcore assets in, in the country, do you know it's estimated, and I've written about this many times, the entire GDP of the planet is estimated to be under $80 trillion. <laughs> Real, real hard assets, not these computer digits that are made up on top of computer digits, you know, with fractional reserve banking. Right. Uh, we can't cover that debt, no matter how hard we want to try. And B of A and Wells Fargo are the two biggest ones that are backed up by the U.S. taxpayer, courtesy of the Federal Reserve getting Congress to go along with them. Um, we're, people say, Dave, how do you say the economy is going to fail? Uh, I think I just told you one of the major ways it probably is likely to fail. When B of A can no longer meet its debt obligations and when they're harassing yours truly over $1,500, that becomes a big problem. That's a well, yeah. huge problem. When their biggest so sources as a consequence, of revenue are, are um, drug cartel money and yeah, we, we could see fees and bank fees. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. This is why they're, they're, they're nickel and dime and everyone in the banks. What is it? We have a $200 trillion credit card debt now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, think I that, mean, yeah. what's going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back? Uh, let me give you another one. We have, what, a $240 trillion um, unfunded mandated liabilities, meaning Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. Um, how are we going to meet those obligations? You start adding this up, a couple hundred trillion here and a couple hundred trillion there, you got some pretty serious money going on. And then the credit swap derivatives, hold on to your hat, folks. But you hold on your hat to this. The credit swap derivatives today are estimated by some to be two quadrillion dollars. I'll go conservative and say the last figure I read officially from the government was one point two quadrillion dollars. That's still sixteen times the entire amount of hard assets on the planet. We could be working to pay this off until the five hundredth century and barely make a dent. The interest rate alone on the credit swap derivatives is $505 trillion a year, and your federal yeah. government takes in $2 trillion a year in income tax. Yeah, and this How one quickly can we pay that off? Not only do We're they headed take the for tax, a crash. Oh, yeah. They, they take the income tax. They take all, all the state, local, federal taxes. They tax the goods and services that we use and buy, but they also uh, have an unfair yoke an unequal yoke, as the Bible says, it's usury, and it talks about this in many parts of the Bible. It's it, it, the root word of the usury is the serpent's bite. But um, our money, we purchase our money. We pay for the right to use our money. That system right there is the faulty on its face. And uh, well, as gonna, I like to say, Joe, there's no lefts and there's no rights left. There's only the corporations. You, you, you know, it's when you say the corporations, because a lot of times people will say, well, wait a minute, you're not capitalists then, you're socialists. Um, they're fascists. They're fascists. Fascist. 
The U.S. They're is fascist. That's my right. answer to that statement. Okay. All right. Which, which is by definition, I think, uh, perhaps the most accurate. But, but well, they yes. control government. That's fascism by its very definition. Right. 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 We we got a lot of emails, Dave, asking uh, for for your take again, um, coming coming in late, just saying, you know, what do you think? What does Dave really think is, you know, what's the best case or worst case scenario uh, for this uh, this upcoming spring and summer as we get closer to the Republican convention? But uh, you you don't have high hopes for for things coming into the as we as we progress toward the convention, do you? No, no. Tr- Trump has served his purpose. God bless him for that, and I mean that sincerely. If he's sincere, and I believe he is now, I didn't believe him at first, but he's got so many forces lining up against him, I, I, I don't see how this could all be orchestrated. Too many cast of characters to, to manipulate at the same time. And so Donald Trump is waking up America, and Americans will continue the task because we've reached critical mass. So we owe Donald Trump a, a debt of gratitude. I hope he survives. And I hope he's able to live out his life in a peaceful and rewarding fashion for the service he's provided for his country. And to some degree, I extend that to Bernie Sanders, too, although I totally reject his solutions to things. I don't think you can get by running government with a printing press in your basement, and that's what Bernie would need. But Bernie has done a wonderful job identifying a lot of the corruption in government as it relates to the corporations. And what we see is the power elite in the world, the 150 to 300 men that run the world, uh, they manifest their power through the banks and the corporations. And this is why I keep coming back to talking about corporations, because they're the visible entity that we can actually see what they're doing to us to understand. It's hard to understand the smoke-filled room filled with bankers saying, we're going to depopulate and wreck the food and do mind control and all this stuff. You're really kind of on shaky ground when you get out there, because that's where the charges of conspiracy theorists get thrown back at me, fear porn, doom and gloom. But when you talk about the corporations, their actions are visible for all to see. There is no controversy when we talk about it. All you have to do is pay attention and click on the blue hypertext links on the articles and you'll see all the proof you need. Um, what do I see coming this spring? More of the same. Uh, the rhetoric will increase against Trump, but I don't see anything major. I don't think Trump's life is in danger unless it looks like he's really going to get the nomination. And then I, well, I'll give you one scenario I wrote about, guys, and this sounds crazy on its face until you realize we live in a nation that had 9-11. Um, if Trump rolls in with 1,240 delegates, so to speak, he's going to win. Gee, we've got 50 ISIS terrorist cells in the country, according to the FBI director last July 4th. Uh, how about flying a plane with high explosives into that Cleveland Convention Center and killing off most of the Republican leadership? And they get their girl, Hillary Clinton, waltzing into the White House. Now, what a horrible thing for me to suggest, and I realize that. I certainly pray this does not happen. I look to solve problems through nonviolent means, being a Christian. But you also have to have the ability that when I used to coach college basketball games, I had to put myself in the position of the other coach and try to read his mind and try to anticipate how he was going to counter what we were going to do. And I've tried to do the same thing with the globalists here running the Republican Party. What could they possibly do? If they're willing to wreck their party, if they're going to tell the American people on national TV and multiple occasions, your vote means nothing, and if Trump doesn't get the election and he was the leader going in, they've wrecked 
wrecked the Republican Party. The Republican Party is history. It might never come back. If they're willing to wreck their own party, how far will they go to keep the status quo? I don't have a hard time believing they'll wreck their country, and I sure don't have a hard time believing they do a 9-11 at the Republican convention. And I think that's a possibility. I'm not predicting it. I'm not saying it's a probability. But if I woke up one morning like I did on 9-11 and see that we had had that kind of an event when I went to bed and my phone didn't ring me, wake me up that night from people calling me, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised, guys. And I see this as more symbolic. You know, we've seen the manufacturing sector uh, gutted from this country. We've seen the middle class uh, taken away. You know, they're either the super rich are getting richer or the middle class has turned poor. The Christian conservative values that the citizens of this country stood up for at one point are taken away. And it's only right then that the party that stands up for all those things should be taken away. And they're doing their best to destroy it themselves, as you said. Who, who's behind it? I, I mean, can we name names? Who is behind the uh, what we're seeing here? Is it Carl Rove? I mean, obviously, it's, there are higher people than that. But I mean, who, who are the ground troops here? The ground troops or the intelligentsia? Okay. Uh, there's a difference. The visible operatives that we have access to would be Rockefeller and Rothschild on one level. I would throw in the Lee family from China, the Oppenheimers from South Africa. Those are the four big ones. But see, those are the visible entities. Um, and then there's their first lieutenants are the, the Zygmunt Brzezinski's, the George Soros on the next level. Um, but wisdom would tell you that when you're doing something as devious and evil and satanic as they are, which is setting up the planet for depopulation, transhumanism, uh, they're morphing the planet. They're morphing it through Fukushima, the Gulf oil explosion, causing tremendous environmental changes. And then they're morphing the world's economy, the world's food supply, the world's sky. We have 20% of our sun blacked out now because of chemtrails. They're, they're going through a genesis of morphing the planet and morphing human beings for something. And, and I will tell you, I'll refer to my friend Vance Davis, former NSA. He told me in his training that they were taught that the, the, what was going on on the planet was good versus evil, and this is a war that manifested out in the cosmos eons ago, and that the prize is the human soul bestowed upon human beings by the Almighty. And because the other side is not being able to crack the soul and the DNA of the soul, how they can gain control, they want to morph human beings through transhumanism. This is what I see as the final end game to this whole scenario. Right now, we're building to that end game by having one entity try to get control of the entire planet by hook or crook. But ultimately, we're seeing a total transformation of this planet away from God's creation. And of course, there can only be one entity behind that, and that's Satan himself. So you ask me what I see lies ahead and who's in charge. That's how I see this, and I agree. And not only did Vance Davis tell me this, I had someone else uh, tell me this who was also in the NSA, and it was part of his training. It's double-sourced, and I knew Vance very, very well. We were very, very close. 
and I think there's more than enough justification in just the manifestation of these current events to show that he's right. Transhumanism is ultimately everyone's enemy. And, and this is what we're seeing, and I think that GMOs are part of the transformation process as well, too. Sorry for the long-winded answer, guys, but that's where I see this heading. No, it's... Uh, long-winded well required. Said. And, and r- no, transhumanism, well, technocracy is the, um, really is what we're talking about here, and that's the uh, Trojan horse to uh, the New World Order. Yeah, and it's a two-part. They want the, the transhumanism for their immortality outside of... of the Lord's uh, eternity, and two, they want the uh, the technology for the mark of the beast system for the masses. Well, that's coming too. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering about this mind control technology that we opened the show with, with regard to being being able to penetrate the cell membrane, and the, there's a reference to the FDA in that long cover page that I have in that article. And if you see in there, they mention devices overseen by the FDA to be part of this brain project. Could that be the mark of the beast? That's what I was wondering when I read it. Not only that, they have articles out that say uh, what what believing in God does to your brain and how they can uh, manipulate the part of your brain and erase that belief system. Well, that's the advantage, Joe, of going into the cell membrane. See, when you use electronic uh, frequency attacks upon the brain to either enhance anger or induce passivity, which it's clearly been demonstrated for 60 years they've been able to do this, that's controlling the message that's coming out and changing it. But when you can penetrate the cell membrane, now you are at the point of origination. You can create your own thoughts. And I think this technology has been with us for a long time. It's not part of the brain mapping project. I think this is how they're choosing to bring it out to the public. Let me back up and just quote the work of uh, Nick Begich, Dr. Nick Begich from Alaska, who's done tremendous work on Project Harp. He wrote a book everyone should read called Angels Don't Play This Harp. It's a 20-year-old book, and it's just as relevant today. And he details the patents for mind control technology, especially that related to Project Harp. I mean, you can't argue with the patents. They're part of the federal record. And one of the things that he did in 1997 is Nick went to the European Parliament and he played an example. He had people put on headphones and he was able to project voices into their skull as if the thoughts were their own. And this was got a term. It was called voice-to-skull technology. And the patent for that, I believe, was held by Eastman Kodak. Don't quote me on that. I'd have to go back and look in my book uh, that Nick sent me. But I believe that's uh, where it came from. But it was a patented resource. And so we've had the ability to implant thoughts in people's heads and make them believe their own for almost 20 years, as demonstrated by Nick Begich. The European Parliament promptly passed a resolution outlawing the process. doesn't mean that they're going to follow it, and how would you know if they would, since it's covert mind control. But I think the brain mapping project is merely the vehicle they're using to expose this technology because it's been in existence longer than 20 years. Yeah, the uh, Lucius Trust, Alice Bailey, um, wrote about this, the Electric Bridge. And there's a website called the Electric Bridge Site. It is hmm. a 
a powerful symbol for serving in the fields of science and philosophy. It goes on to say that it's synthesizing the nature of electricity and will provide the foundation for the new uh, Aquarian science of interconnectedness. The going to say that um, what they'll do uh, is cre- create this electric bridge and that it will transform uh, people, thoughts, mental tension. Uh, it will provide a luminous bridge and strengthen a link between the physical and spiritual world. Interesting. Do you remember when they came out and they said they had discovered the God gene? Do you remember that, Joe? Yeah. Yeah, and it was, gosh, what was it, 2008, I think it was, 2009, and they said that they could cure religious fanaticism. Mm-hmm. Yep. M- remember that? Mm-hmm. And yeah, that sure went many? dark, didn't it? That didn't yeah. give you legs and go anywhere. That doesn't mean it didn't happen, and you just described the process. Well, yeah, and, and yeah, exactly. And, and just to, to, to reiterate, you know, there's the, the patent out there for the microwave voice to skull technology. It, it, it's, um, th- th- this is all coming to fruition very quickly. But by the way, uh, just to clear up a few things, getting a couple of emails, you remember, you mentioned scene.is as an alternative to Facebook. Got a couple of emails wanting to make sure, or wanting to ask whether you were, were referring to scene.life. Is that the website? Oh, did I say is? Oh, I'm sorry. I meant yeah. life. Okay. All right. If you go to scene.is, you will end up on scene.life. But yes, it's scene.life. Thank you okay. for that correction. No, that's, that's the more direct route I gave you, the secondary circuitous route. Well, actually, uh, I went, yeah, I, I jumped a few hops there and ended up at scene.life. And then a couple of emails came in and says, wait a minute, you're talking about scene.life. So, okay. Scene.life. Scene.life, yes. Right. And, um, okay. what a wonderful tool it is. Um, and it's growing. I, I have a common sense show page up on there and, and, uh, it's been out about, oh, I don't know, a week, eight days, ten days. And I'm not sure how many people I have, but it's 150 to 200 people, I would guess. And I haven't worked at that hard yet. Yeah. And I'm going to. And I'm thinking, what a marvelous tool for new people to come to and be able to read articles like what Lisa Haven puts out. She does, you should have her as a guest. Lisa Haven is a wonderful researcher, does the best YouTube videos out there. And, uh, she has a presence on scene.life and just a great wealth of information. And she breaks it down simply into videos. And she simplifies things so the novice uh, opponent of the New World Order coming in can really understand what she's saying. And uh, really, really articulate. She She's a great interview. I've had her on my show. But uh, that's what the kind of thing that people will get when they go to scene.life. So thank you for that correction. Uh, I want to thank our, our listeners. And the- very... Very good, very yeah, good listeners. And a closing thought on this: they, the army has a whole department dedicated to psychological operations. Oh, absolutely, their, their minds yes. capture their minds, and their hearts and souls will follow. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, well, I just choose to follow one, and that's the Almighty from above, who continues to watch out for me. And uh, I pray that we can bring enough people back to Christ that God will stop turning his back on our nation because we deserve it after killing 60 million babies. And I pray that God will once again bestow his blessings upon our nature, our nation. But we've got to take the first step now. We've got to show God we're worthy because we're no better than Sodom and Gomorrah. You think we have a chance? Uh, I mean... 
as long as you've got God on your side, you can do anything. But we have to act like Christians in the true sense of the word. And that means breaking away from your church and the clergy response team, FEMA-controlled pastors, in their tax-exempt churches. Go to home Bible studies. Do it with your family. God doesn't measure if, if you're in a church to worship him. God measures what's in every individual's heart. And Amen. if people will come back to their true roots of Christianity, read the Bible, practice what you preach, God will return and, and protect this nation as he always has. Amen, brother. You've been a very gracious guest with your, with your time. Thank you so much. Uh, I love your articles. I was, I was telling uh, Dave off air <clears throat> that I've downloaded, I think, uh, pretty much all, almost half of his articles on his website. What a tremendous, vast database of knowledge. And um, you're, you're to be commended for your research, your investigation, for your sources. It's always good to have you. Folks, thecommonsenseshow.com, thecommonsenseshow.com. And by the way, welcome welcome to the YouTube world. It's yes, great to it's have nice you, to be here. Yeah. Uh, this is great. So make sure make sure you go to thecommonsenseshow.com and, and also support Dave Hodges by supporting his advertisers as well as supporting him directly. Subscribe his research is not free. Thanks, guys. Always, always a pleasure to be with you on this great network called Global Star. You guys have a great show. You're so well-respected, and it's always the highlight of my day when I get to come on. Thank you so much, Dave. You're very gracious. God bless you, my friend. Until next time, Dave Hodges. Folks, we're going to be right back. Stay with us with Stan Dale coming up. This is the Global Star Radio Network. Look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to our third and final hour of this Tuesday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. If you joined us late, definitely catch the archive. Dave Hodges of the Common Sense Show was our first two-hour guest. We talked about a lot of things from the uh, the primaries, uh, Republican GOP primaries, to psychological warfare, to 
the situation in the Middle East to the domestic threats we face here at home. Yeah. From the economy to potential EMPs. And, uh, you know, as Stan said during the break, I'm going to bring, what did you say, Stan? I'm going to, I'm going to bring more, uh, good news to the party. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Let's hit everybody while they're down, hey. Hey, yeah. if it's if it's Tuesday, it's it's Tuesday with Stan. Standeo.com is his website, and more more uh, relevant than ever. Dare to prepare by Holly Dale. Man, do we need to know how to prepare? And Holly's got the the book for that. That's Dare to Prepare, and of course Standeo.com. Um, check out his website and also his uh, show mission page. Stan, where do you want to start? I mean, yeah, let's spread some <laughs> tamers. more joy. More joy, right. Yeah, you know, let's let's look home here at America at the moment. Um uh, Linda Babb, one of our, our friends and a listener to your show, uh, earlier in the week sent me uh well, over the weekend some links about a new uh, Turkish mosque being built or being opened in Maryland this week. And uh, if you go to the show images page, uh, top row right hand picture it says see new hundred million dollar turkish mosque in maryland you click on that you see a, a number of uh, pictures and a couple of links to articles um, about this but what is really interesting is this this mosque is is over the top i mean it's it's got two of the minarets you know standing up for the the mullahs you know you know or the, the, the speaker says you know come to prayer six times a day and it's got underground parking if you look at it this this thing parked right in the middle of a neighborhood has underground parking so that they don't clutter up the streets, which is thoughtful. But I also thought it's probably because they don't want to have anybody throwing stuff at them or harming their cars, etc., while they were parked on the street doing this mosque. Because, you know, who wants to have, you know, uh, the Sharia law brought into our community and then eventually taking it over, which I'll discuss in a minute, which is already happening in another town in Michigan. Um, but anyway, here in Maryland, you can see some of the inside of this um, mosque on these pictures I've got. And then you'll read that this is a Turkish mosque, the first one, uh, a Turkish mosque being built here in the States. And it's, go- it's going to be like uh, christened or opened officially by uh, Tayyip Erdogan from, you know, the, the uh, president, prime minister, whatever he's going to be called this week, of Turkey. Now, he was trying to get, officially, to get Obama to open this big mosque with him. I'll tell you what, that would have been a bad political move, and, and you know, <laughs> Obama stepped out of this one for some reason. He, he saw the wisdom of not doing that right now. But when you hear the rest of what I'm going to talk about, uh, you know, the, the other Muslim towns here are, that, uh, that are putting in mosques, you'll see the threat that we have here. This, this is not just a neighborhood church. Uh, you know, that uh, they, they peacefully worship there and whatever. Uh, 1% of the Muslims in this country, at least, are uh, terrorist-prone. They're, they're radical. And uh, I'm sure there'll be some go to this this mosque. Uh, if you've ever, and I'm sure you've, you've done this, but if you've ever looked at the, at the um, uh, Quran, you see that um, they mean to take over the world. They mean to make Christians and people of the book, in other words, Jews and Christians, uh, join uh, Islam and to follow Sharia law. If, the, if we don't, they they're going to either kill us or make us pay a tax and uh, a heavy tax and and be treated as a second-rate citizen in the community where they control it. Now, very cleverly, what is happening is we are watching. We're in the middle of 
a revived Crusades battle between the Western Christian nations and the Eastern Arabic uh, Muslim nations. And what they're doing now, instead of coming in with troops on horses and sabers and stuff and cutting at us, they are settling their people in the United States and in Europe uh, rather peacefully, it would appear, and letting their communities grow and letting them have their mosques. And uh, gradually, through a democratic process, city by city is going to fall to Sharia law, which really is is uh, overthrowing our U.S. Constitution. But because of religious freedom, they say that they're, they're going to be able to do this and get away with it. Uh, this is a real worry to me. Uh, I, it's a very subtle invasion, and I don't think that the... the uh, the Muslim families stop at two babies. I think they go more than that, like the Catholics used to do, uh, have, you know, six, seven, eight, ten children to rapidly, over a generation or two, repopulate the area where they are with children that are, are Islamic and follow the, the Sharia law. Now, go back over into the show images page, and uh, there's a town called Hamtramck, uh, and it's in um, uh, kind of in the middle of Detroit. So Detroit surrounds it, and it's a small little town of twenty thousand people. You can read about the Islamic takeover of uh, Ham uh, Tremec uh, in that first box there down the, in the text. It says read about it, and you'll go and read the the details of what I'm telling you about here. But um, they've uh, you'll see signs uh, down underneath that on the second row, first and second boxes. One sign has a bunch of uh, of Muslims in um, Amtramic, and it says, the followers of Muhammad will conquer America. Now, that's here in America, in a town that's, you know, a little tiny town uh, at the moment. Uh, the next picture over shows Sharia will dominate the world. Again, people standing on the streets in Amtramic, Michigan. Now, you know, this, this is not good. Um, we're creating... Uh, by, by the Constitution, we're creating this enemy of the state within the state. And I, I think that Donald Trump's idea about, you know, halting immigration and doing something about this is not a silly idea. Um, we have to, to stand up and put them back uh, in their place and, and, and stop this stuff. We're, we're allowing, legally, people who want to overthrow our government to come in and plant mosques in communities and start declaring a Sharia law. Now, in this little town here, they, for the first time, they've now got a, a majority rule of the town council that's uh, a Muslim council now. Uh, they've, I think they've got four out of six positions that are Muslims. And, you know, if, if Islam was not dedicated to the overthrow of uh, Christians and our way of life, it would be a different story for me. I know there are a lot of very, you know, normal, um, you know, Islam uh, Muslims here in the country. Very normal people, you you know, you can be friends with and all that kind of stuff. But there's that element that goes to the letter of the law within the Koran, which they use to justify, you know, uh, terrorist attacks on our country and other countries uh, in the Western nations. This this town used to be, I think, it was something like 40% Polish Catholic. And when the, the um, well, the article said 40, Holly said 90, but... Uh, Anyway, at some point in time, they've now reduced it down to about 15% um, of the people that were originally there, for, you know, that were Polish. They're, they're aging because they, you know, their children start moving out because nobody wants to stay there. I mean, uh, there are business owners who are within 500 feet of uh, one of the four mosques there, and they
they can't uh, maintain a liquor license because you know the new council says no, you're too close to a mosque, so we, you can't have a liquor license. You'll have to sell or move or do something. So it's it's already starting to take over, and uh, I just you know Dearborn's the same way. If you look at uh, uh, the show images page there, there's a uh, second row on the right hand side there. There's the Islamic Center of America in Dearborn, Michigan. You click on that and see that big picture of that. The, these guys are serious business. They, they're spending lots of dollars to build these big Islamic centers, and these are plants. These are areas where the terrorists can breed, and I, I hate to say it, but that's what we're faced with. Islam is more like a, a business or a you know, uh, an organization than it is a religion. I know that it poses, you know, as a religion worshiping Allah, but their tactics and stuff are more like a military operation these days. I just, it worries me. We, uh, uh, Stan, we we investigated a number of Islamic centers, especially in, excuse me, in Buffalo, New York. In Binghamton, in Binghamton, but well, from really from Binghamton to Olean, uh, upstate New York to Buffalo, New York, to the group the Lackawanna Six. Yes, yes. What what we're seeing here, and, and America has this prideful prideful naivete about this assimilation. Oh, let's yes. embrace them. When these people have no no intention of assimilating, and you said it so right on the money. When you're when you're looking at these Islamic centers being built. Follow the money, and you're going to see outside foreign uh, sourced. You know, all of this is sourced with uh, built with outside money or money that's coming in from outside the country. They're establishing bulkheads, beachheads here in this country, and people might say, "Well, that's just crazy talk. You're just uh, that's a uh, bigoted or whatever you want to call it." But no, it's not. And, and you've Look at that! Uh, I mean, folks, look at look at Stan Dale's show images page. We had look Dr. Bill Warner on. He is uh, his website politicalislam.com. dot com. He talks about the fact that the, that we are not opposing uh, the infiltration of Islam is is basically uh, equal to accepting Sharia law. Sure. He talks about the uh, uh, teachings in the Quran that allow the the believers of the Quran to lie cheat, steal, misrepresent themselves in order to carry out their mission. And, and I just want to say this, Stan. During an official meeting on Islamic Christian dialogue, an authoritative Muslim person speaking to the Christians participating stated very calmly and assuredly, and folks, you've heard this before, thanks to your democratic laws, we will invade you. And thanks to our religious laws, we will dominate you. And that's exactly what Stan Dale is pointing out right here. Yeah, it's frightening. It really is. And and the and the ignorance of people trying to adhere to this political correctness stuff. It just astounds me. They can't see what's going to take them down. Losing uh, homes, lives, family, and stuff to this this attack. Uh, and it's not with guns and stuff at the moment. It's going to be subtle, you know, city by city, state by state. And uh, at some point, it's going to erupt. And if it is stopped or if it's interrupted by, let's say, um, you know, um, uh, extreme right-wing groups that uh, suddenly get really mad about it and start shooting or harming uh, the the Muslim communities, then the Muslim communities will fight back and will feel justified in defending themselves and attacking, and the spread of Islam in this country will go absolutely bananas um, and requiring martial law because there will be a, a number of people 
we've told us it's going to happen. Um, and, and here we are. We're right at the, at the doorway to this. And people just cannot see this. I, 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 the New England, you know, the eastern states, you know, the Washington cadre and whatever, they're all, ho, ho, peace, love, harmony, left wing, left wing, let's all go down the drain together. I just cannot believe this country is following that. Anyway, let's hope that Trump gets in. <laughs> I saw a picture of him on the Internet today with a M16. He's in, and he says, we're from America. We're coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> Are you as cynical as as Dave Hodges was? And, and I, I don't mean to even sound disparaging at all uh, about what his feeling, but um, the election's coming up. You, you think that there's going to be some chicanery um, with respect to the Trump's nomination? Do you think that they're going to pull out the stops and maybe you know throw a monkey wrench into the mix? Oh, something's going to happen, I'm sure. Um, you know, Holly and I both worry for his uh, safety. Yeah, because he is definitely so much against the the establishment, as it were, the established uh, Republican Party, which is dominated by large money interests that are not uh, uh, Donald Trump. And uh, you know, I don't know whether they'll spring some you know bad press on him about something. I don't know what it would be, but uh, you know, it's either going to be that, or they will scare people uh, into not voting for him because of some. He said they'll blow out of proportion or something. Um, and Stan, but let's hope they, he, he doesn't get hurt, uh, you know, uh, between yeah. now and physically. They've spent over $500 million in negative <clears throat> ad campaigns on Trump in the primary season so far. And his uh, base has only grown. So I think they're going to have to change tactics. Yeah, and I'm worried about what that's going to entail. Um, you know, I, I do worry for the man. He speaks what we think. And uh, I would hope that when he gets into office, he'd be able to accomplish at least half, maybe three-quarters of what he, he wants to do. But remember, just being in the office doesn't clear the pathway of everything you want to do. You've still got to deal with the, the House and the Senate and yeah. uh, Supreme Court in some cases, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, man, I'll tell you. You're looking, you're looking at this. I look at, and I said this last week, Perhaps I even said it to you. I'm not sure, but I look at this election cycle and this political landscape we're in, this geopolitical landscape we're in. In one way, I look at it and it looks like 1968, and I look at it from another angle. It looks like 1930s Nazi Germany, pre pre war Germany. That is, yeah. um, you know, I just I I can't. It's such a I don't know a nebulous thing. I can't put my finger on what we're looking at here, except it's not normal. Not much, I know. Yeah, um, you know, we're we're approaching the point where they're going to force, uh, you know, civil disobedience across the country, civil war. Um, it, it's just coming to a head, and I, you know, you talk about uh, cynicism about this election. As we've said, you and I, many times, are we going to get to have an election? Yeah. You know, that's another thing to throw into the mix of all this worry. Yeah. <sighs> well. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. That's a that's a whole nother angle, I, I suppose. But I, I, I'm I'm very concerned about uh, civil war in this country because I, people are angry. People are extremely angry. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know they are. 
I've just got to reset my computer here. It's got a virus or something. Just screen's gone all crummy on me. Well, that's what you get for tuning in to the Hagman and Hagman Reporter connecting <laughs> up with us. Uh, well, in, in, in the meantime, you know, you've got, again, well, your show images, uh, Sharia will dominate the world in, in, uh, uh, Hamtrek, Michigan, the Islamic Center in Dearborn, the Islamic Center. We were Center talking off here, remember, about, um, um, NATO and, uh, yes, Turkey's position yes. in NATO. Yes. You know, um, NATO is really kind of, causing grief to NATO militarily and NATO depends on uh, Turkey for some of its accident in the Middle East and you know there's a big question being asked now whether uh, uh, Turkey should be asked to leave NATO but there's been no provision made in the NATO agreement for dismissing you know a member right uh, well not that I know of anyway and so we're looking at a situation where Turkey is fomenting trouble on their border there with that strip of land where ISIS controls it and ships arms back and forth who Iran and various other places. Um, you know, I, I Turkey is just playing with the enemy, and um, uh, Erdogan is is now threatening the Jewish kindergarten schools in the southern part of Turkey, uh, threatening to arrest and and uh, you know perhaps kill them. Uh, the U.S. has been taking military personnel out of southern Turkey now this week, telling them to get out or bring you home because of the increased aggravation against Americans, uh, Christians, and, of course, Jews. Uh, I was watching the news here just uh, before we went on air over in Israel, in Channel 7 there in, in uh, Tel Aviv, and they were talking there about uh, come home, uh, get out of Turkey, Jewish people, because Erdogan's guys are going to come down and start killing us. Now, this is uh, Turkey run by Erdogan, who considers himself to be a modern King Solomon, you know, all-wise, all-knowing, etc. And um, he's also in a country that wants to, according to their news, uh, TV news about two or three years ago, wants to build the temple of King Solomon in Jerusalem. So it's a love-hate relationship he has with uh, Israel at the moment. Uh, if they're talking in the back rooms about building the Temple of Solomon to allow Jews to worship in that temple because it's from King Solomon and they revere King Solomon, you know, and uh, Suleiman the Magnificent, all that stuff is, you know, the bee's knees there in Turkey. This is why they would allow that and uh, uh, allegedly make a, a peace in the Middle East because of that. Uh, so Erdogan is still high on my Antichrist list. If you see that on the show images page there. Um, I don't know, you know, if he's going to turn out to be the guy or not. There are a few other candidates there, as you can see on the page. But, hmm. um, you know, who knows? Wow. Yeah. Well, the entire situation in the Middle East, the destabilization, the Turkish complicity, at least in my view, uh, along with the U.S. attempting to destabilize uh, Bashar al-Assad, <clears throat> as well as prop uh, ISIS, to, to some extent, all of this together, all of this combined, it just it just seems like uh, we're seeing this clash come quickly, or you know, accelerate, and and now everything's coming to a head all at one time. How would you like to be trying to make, well, we're doing it here, I guess, but to make a rational assessment of who's with who, who's up who over in the Middle East? 
<laughs> you know, is Turkey with Iran? Is Iran with ISIS? Is ISIS with, you know, Saudi Arabia? You know, all these people are in different uh, categories, different little groups. And, you know, who knows who to trust over there? Well, it's the old saying, prophetic, uh, uh, the fulfillment of, of, of biblical prophecy certainly makes strange for strange uh, political bedfellows, right? <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, as you know, that uh, Saudi Arabia has made a deal with Oman to start manufacturing uh, munitions, you know, uh, bombs, 2,000-pound bombs and uh, tank shells and mortar shells and stuff. They've set up a factory to start doing that. So you can tell that both of them are talking about the approach of of an imminent ground war. Um, Mm. Yeah, well... This week, uh, the the Saudi cabinet met, uh, you know, King Salman, not the princess, and the king met with the 39 nations that uh, Prince Salman put together in that um, uh, joint operation to uh, test how they could uh, fight, you know, a war over there against ISIS or uh, Iraq, Iran, whoever they might end up going against Iran, probably. But um, in that meeting, um, the the king put forth uh, the suggestion they want the United Nations Security Council to develop a special international protection system for Palestine. In other words, so that the, if the Jews step out of line, that the UN Security Council can swat them, you know, and, and the, the, the Saudis are putting that forward. You know, I, some of these things just seem kind of non-sequitur, you know, oxymorons. <laughs> Yes, yes. Joe used the word or term bipolar earlier in the show. It seems like we we have a lot of bipolarity going on um, all over the place. I don't know. Yeah, and, you know, that could switch at the drop of a hat. Um, These uh, these alliances, when you get 39 nations together, uh, and there are mixed brands of uh, Islam in these various nations, you know, one might get mad against the other while they're in the field or, you know, stop supporting a flank or, you know, how do you control an army of so many diverse cultures uh, in a in a confrontation? I just don't understand what they're doing here. You know, anyway. that's, a good, that's a good point. And as I, I remember listening to you again back in the 90s, Art Bell, and would you, would you have envisioned this? Back in the '90s, where we're at right now. Uh, someday I would have, but not as quickly, I guess. It, it seems quick to those of us that are older, and time passes quicker. But for a young person, if you wait from say '96 when Art Bell and I were talking about that to now, it's 20 years. That's you know almost the entire lifetime of you know young people up to age 20 now. Um, you know. They might think, well, it's a long time away. Things take a long time because time passes slower for them, um, which is another interesting point in physics, but we'll get to that some other time. The the um, the Hopi visit that Holly and I made in 96, and I think in 97, and uh, we made some in the, in the 2000s as well, but back in the time when I was talking with Art, the Hopi did tell us, on top of a, of a, of a mesa there, uh, he, he said to me, look, you are going to have a multifaceted civil war breakout in North America here in the United States, and it will cause the, the demise of the United States. 
there will be such a you know a number of issues in fighting that Russia and China and one Arab nation will invade the United States. Um, I think the, the Arab guy they were talking about is going to wear the red thing, red cloak or something. I don't know. It's in Hobi legends, but um, at any rate, they said then that expect this and it will destroy America. Uh, the war will certainly make the most of America land-wise uninhabitable, and there will be survival groups that will join with the Hopi and some of the Navajo and other uh, of the uh, original people of, the, of North America to form a new nation uh, in, I think, the Four Corners and up into Colorado. Uh, you know, it actually have traced the path that they would take. And uh, one of the uh, shows we did, I did uh, uh, mention that, and I put a graph up showing when, uh, according to Hopi prophecy, when the water comes up to the shorelines or to the to where they have to go between the three mesas by boat, that they will leave that area then because the fighting and stuff in the, in the United States will have stopped, and that's when they will go by land in between all the water that's around them up to the four corners in Colorado and start that that new nation of uh, of man. Ah, boy. Wow. Anyway. Such happy thoughts on a Tuesday. <laughs> you, you know, well, it, Art and I talked about it, I mean, a long time yeah. ago. Uh, in fact, uh, if you want to see the path I, I put in there, go to my show images page and go down, oh, about almost to the bottom, three rows from the bottom of the right, you'll see USA and Hopi Mesa's sea level rises. And there are a couple of issues whether whether you know the um, uh, whether a river is blocked going down into the uh, Hopi Nation and it fills up instead of filling into where the Colorado fills up the uh, Grand Canyon uh, or, or whether it fills up the the Mesas area because it gets blocked by an earthquake and I show the two places where that might happen in 3D if you've got 3D glasses you can see it there. Uh, at the point where the river could be blocked easily by earthquake tumbling rocks of the Grand Canyon down onto the river there. Uh. According to my figures, though, unless we had horrific amounts of rain, it would take 20 years for that to fill up by that blocked river and make the the blue area that I've got there in uh, uh, in that uh, section on the second row left picture. Hopi Mesa's flooded in Arizona only. Hopi Mesa's, Mesa's flooded in Arizona, Utah, and Colorado. That's the worst-case scenario, and I show red lines of where the migration of the Hopi up into the, the four corners of Colorado, either over into the San Juan on the west side or up into the uh, Front Range area, uh, where they might uh, migrate when this happens. But that's how long ago that was. I was talking about that, uh, and that's what, uh, what Art and I talked about. And uh, speaking of Art, yeah, I guess you heard he's, he's not doing his show now. Right. Well, uh, I, I, I talked to his producer today, and, and uh, it was because, you know, someone actually shot at him in his car. But they're looking at a way to maybe uh, sneak him back on air somewhere and avoid the whoever's trying to kill him. You, you know, uh, when I, yeah, I, I'm, we're, we're, you know what, Sam, we're seeing an increase. And we're going to have people say, oh, this is just BS, and, you know, here we go again. It's uh, It's just all made up. But I've seen a marked increase in the number of threats and the number of incidents taking place with, with um, I don't want to limit it to talk show hosts, but um, the people talking about unpopular to- topics. 
whether it's Art Bell or others, and it's disconcerting to me. Um, I, I just wanted to let you know that, you know, I, I've, in the past, well, since Monday, when is it? It's Tuesday. So in the past 24 hours, actually 48, I've actually spoken to three different individuals in the alternative media who are very concerned over what's going really? on. Really? Yeah, I have. I and hadn't heard that. What are they, death threats or just some other kind of threat? Um, Boy, without getting into a lot of detail, uh, one was actually not unlike what Art Bell went through in terms of some shooting going on. And, and well, that's that one. Another one was harassment that, well, criminal harassment, I would, I would describe. And uh, I, I don't want to mention these people on air because... No, don't. Just, I, 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 know, I didn't mean for that. But, 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 you know, it just seems like... Um, it seems like the closer, well, I don't know. The, I, I get very uh, tongue-tied when I talk about this, but only because you can't you can't say too much because then it breeds, you know, um, these idiots that, that the copycat kind of things. And uh, but it, it's just it's crazy. I mean, go for it. You know, when we were Stan, when we were at the Dallas conference, okay, and I think we know where these threats came from. Just, just real briefly, I mean, we we had threats to to the speakers there, and and you know, I look at this and I'm thinking, why, uh, why? Were they delivered by phone or in person or letters or email or uh, what? By, by phone, by, by by phone, by telephone, and, and uh, the. Um, yeah, I mean that that I suppose is a story in in and of itself, but but regardless of that, you know, what is the in why the intimidation factor right now? Why is it getting to the point where people are are uh, trying to be or people are trying to intimidate the people telling the truth to to shut up? I mean, uh are we, we so we must be making a difference then. Can can we say that? I think that I think we are making a difference. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. What, what uh, were they? These people complaining or making the threats there at the Dallas uh, conference? What um, things were they upset about? Well, uh, there's a big backstory, but the uh, but the most recent, or the uh, I should say the uh, the the uh, the one the one particular threat was uh, saying that something was going to happen during uh, a Sunday morning church service. Gave a very specific time and a very specific session number. And, um, um, I, you know, I, I'm not exactly certain as to the, like, the, the wording, but it was a very specific threat. Now, but it was delivered in such a way, if, if I'm to understand this correctly, it was delivered in such a way where this person wanted the police to, to think that he was being helpful. In other words, saying that he wasn't going to threat, or he wasn't doing it, but, but there was a credible threat against the speakers, kind of putting himself six degrees from guilt, shall we say. That's my right. understanding of it, if that makes right. sense, you know, with what I, from what I know. And, and I'm not, I don't think any of that, you know, the the potential for disruption there. That's kind of what I'm seeing. And especially those people, too, Stan, who talk about salvation, with the message of salvation. And, and even, I was talking to somebody who does a lot of uh, protesting or... Uh, Maybe that's not the right word. Object, uh, or objecting to abortions, you know, right. going to abort, and the hostility that they're facing has, is on the rise. 
um, people rather than just yell at them or you know throwing garbage at them. And I know that's always been around, but but it seems to be heightening. So the, the people are getting a little bit more aggressive, I guess, in this whole. Thing. Well, they're going to wear the Saints out, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they're going to try. Well, that's right, and, and I think we have to, uh, you know, we we can't quit. We have to keep keep going, pushing forward. So it, it's just a, uh, you know, I, I look at this and I just wonder: can Christians get their act together and and be one, you know, or I don't know, get their act together, support one another enough to really, you know, to fight against the common enemy, and that's evil. Um, the that, spirit that, that is in each of us is what uh, bonds us together. What you know, whether we're physically next door to each other or not. And um, we have to remember that. We we should pray for the body of believers daily. Yeah. I forget sometimes, but we should do that. Um, yeah. And, and look, we know what our task is, and we, we uh, don't want to fall short of that, so we still keep talking and witnessing. Um, our mission here at, at Today O House is to witness to people about the times and the importance of salvation through Jesus, and that's it. Um, you know, our books that we write, which are few, um, we do try to put that message there for what the church needs. And you don't need to have um, church buildings to have fellowship. Uh, it's probably hard to find people everywhere in your town to have the same mindset about this. But still, with the Internet at the moment, we can fellowship over that and over the radio and shortwave and things like that. Um, yeah. Anyway. And fellowship is so important. I just, I just want to add that, you know, there's nothing like rubbing elbows with like-minded people, having the same. Uh, I mean, to be in the same room with you, Stan, it would be well worth the, you know, trip and time to, to make it when you're at a conference because, the, the takeaway from just the fellowship alone is so valuable. You know, so I just want to mention that. Well, thank you for that. Uh, you know, I, I do find it when I go to uh, do lectures uh, that, um, you know, after you're off the stage and stuff and or in a restaurant nearby in the hotels or something eating, that people will come up and sit down and, you know, you'll be discussing things that you never thought you would because they have questions on topics or information to share, and it's just a great sharing uh, that people open up to do, uh, you know, when they're not on stage and not worrying about being bugged or whatever. So, yeah, it is important, and I know I see people in little groups all over these uh, conferences, you know, in between lectures and at lunchtime and after the day is through, gathering together, some of them going home to dinner and fellowship with others there in that town. And this is how the body of believers spreads the information it needs to. Just hang on. It's it's going to get dark, and it's going to get dark quick, perhaps quicker than we thought, but it's coming. Now, a little bit on space weather. Yes. Uh, you know, we've been talking in the past about, uh, you know, these uh, coronal mass ejections and flares and stuff. Um, this is Solar Cycle 24. It's been a rather meager uh, sunspot cycle, but yet the coronal mass ejections and flares uh, were very busy this time, but they're they're stopping now. And uh, compared to the last uh, solar cycle of uh, 11 and a half years, it started in 2000 and went to about... 2009, 10, somewhere in there, uh, it had a double peak. Actually, I think it started at about 1998, but anyway, it had a double peak, you know, high sunspot numbers. And this one has a double peak as well, but the highest sunspot count here is not even, you know, maybe it's halfway to the sunspot count we had in the uh, solar cycle 23. 
which means that we should be seeing CMEs and flares uh, die off. Having said that, uh, we're still getting today uh, very beautiful uh, aurorae up in uh, the northern hemisphere, auroras, as they say here, which is, I guess, okay. But um, the uh, they're very beautiful because of the ion storm coming from a, uh, a flare that wasn't aimed directly at us, but it was over on the northeast corner of the sun. I saw it uh, occurred uh, yesterday morning sometime early, and we're getting the, the thrust of it now. Um, but anyway, the the solar cycle is supposedly winding down, and it will it will wind down now until about um, let's see, 2020. So that's four years away, and then it will start to climb back up towards solar cycle 25, which would be peaking in about you know 2027, 2028, somewhere near, maybe 2026, depends. But it, things are different. The, the solar cycle is uh, surprisingly low this time, and uh, you know, in spite of the sunspot numbers being low, the, the the flare activity has been what I consider exceptional this time. All right, that's it. Mm-hmm. Let's watch the, 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 you know, watch that uh, over the next uh, few months and see what happens. Uh, right. The um, the um, what do you call it? The uh, sea surface temperature anomalies at the moment are. Um, gradually backing off of the El Nino pattern. Uh, the west coast of the United States is still warm at, over the, as far as the anomaly, you know, the deviation from the norm. But the the drastic situation that I saw, you know, last uh, July and into December is now easing off. So hopefully that will mean our weather returns to some sort of normalcy across the country. When you say now, normalcy, are you, you just real quick, Define normalcy by by the standards you're referring to. <laughs> Where you have spring occurring at the right time, the right <laughs> <Okay>. temperature, <laughs> little things like that. You know, the, the okay. food chain. <laughs> Got yeah, it. yeah, yeah. I, you know, the floodings in places and times they shouldn't be. Uh, the heat waves. Uh, you know, with California, sorry, with Colorado at the moment, we're almost constantly under a fire watch, even in the winter time because of the dryness here on the front range. And they're putting out uh, already for the last week or two warnings about, you know, fire and fire hazards. Um, So it would be nice, you know, if we had enough rain in the season it's supposed to be in so that plants and trees and fruit and stuff could grow. California, I'm sure people in California listen to this and say amen to that. Let us have a gentle, constant rain and restore the aquifers. It takes 100 years to restore them, what they've, what they've drained out already. So they're going to be very dependent on what falls out of the sky. And if not, there's going to be riots in California. Yeah. Anyway, back yeah. over to Israel for a moment. Um, I've uh, One of the news stories I saw on uh, Channel 7 tonight was about um, the... Temple Institute there in uh, Jerusalem, and they are looking for people who have a certain um, lifestyle, a certain birth status, um, I'll read some of those to you and tell you why, to be priests in the new temple that's going to be built. Now, that's how serious they're getting. They did a practice lighting of the menorah, you know, the little seven candlestick thingy, using pure olive oil for the first time in nearly 2,000 years this week. Now, they want young men to be trained to be temple priests. Um, and they have to follow the, uh, what's called the, 
halakhic rule uh, for qualification for that. And some of these are really hard. Uh, candidates must be born in Israel to a father of priestly lineage, leading back to Aaron from the Torah. And they must have avoided exposure to the biblical impurity rendered by death. In other words, not touching dead bodies and stuff like that. This includes uh, those people who were not born in a hospital and who have not visited hospitals or cemeteries. You know, uh, you know. okay, how many people have done that? Uh, you, you know, uh, it's like the red heifer that they're trying to, to rise, raise as well, which cannot have one single white hair in it anywhere. And that, and that's going to be sacrificed as a pure uh, sacrifice uh, to the Lord. But the things that they put on these people, you wonder why anybody would want to do it. You know, it would qualify. But apparently they've got some. There's, I see one guy here who's qualified, and he's wearing the, the kind of everyday priestly garment. And uh, to find someone that was born in Israel and from the line of Aaron, you know, back in the days of the Torah, you know, after, after uh, Moses, uh, that would be difficult. You know, because people, Jewish people, a lot of them didn't live in Israel. So, good luck there, guys. Anyway, that's. But what's the what's the what's the intent here? I, I mean, they want to have these guys so that they can run the temple uh, worship, temple sacrifice again when it's, when the Temple of Solomon is rebuilt. They're getting ready for the third temple. Uh, sounds I mean, like if you go over to the Temple Institute in in Jerusalem. Uh, look up, uh, I don't know what it's, the URL is, but it's the Temple Institute in Jerusalem. You look them up and go to their site and see all of the instruments and uh, and uh, parts of things that have to go into the new temple that have been built already. You know, a kosher built, well, you know, halakhic, you know, uh, dinky dye to the rules of, of, of the Judaistic, uh, you know, purity and all that kind of stuff. They have built all of these things, and there are lots of them. So, Things that hold, uh, you know, the, the the showbread and things that pour the oil and the, all this stuff they've got there and pictures of it, showing how ready they are to fill the temple with, you know, kosher stuff when the time comes. So why wow. are they doing this? You know, uh, they are close. I, I didn't realize. I I didn't realize this. Uh, I don't know the severity or the degree of readiness. That, that that you're referencing here. I, I so what would happen? And I'm just thinking, perhaps what other people might be thinking. What would happen if if they said, "All right, we have all the components. We're going to be building right now. Construction is going to start on Monday." What would happen? I mean, is it is that even possible? Well, uh, I suppose it would be, but the, the problem that makes it a bit uh, dubious at the moment is getting permission of the Muslims that occupy the Temple Mount to let a temple be built up there. Right now, they would not accept that. That's why the the the, uh, the idea put forward by some of the people in Turkey to let Israel build Solomon's Temple in the northern part of the of the Temple Mount in what's the garden area there next to the seat of Solomon, uh, which is what it's called. Um, that's why it's so important. You know, if they're pushing that, and they give the go-ahead uh, to, to do that, as making peace between Israel and the nations and possibly some settlement of, of land being given over to Palestinians, I'm not sure what will be involved. Excuse me, then they could start right now. Um, wow. So, you know, uh, but they have to have all this, you know, really... Um, technically correct, you know, religiously pure items 
ready and stored and uh, the the uh, the ritual for using these things have to be understood and written down and practiced by who will be temple priests and at one time back in gosh 89 was there they had 200 men in uh priestly school at that time um now how many of them stuck to it or not it's another thing you know whether they've gone by the way but at least one possibly two of those 200 were uh made themselves known to a friend of mine there at night that they were Messianic Christian believers, but they were also being trained to be priests in the temple, which was rather interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, it, it, it could be done rather rapidly. And if you go to just templeinstitute.org, you'll see this, and then they've got a tour, you know, a 3D visual tour through the... the, the uh, the new temple where they've got the the architectural drawings of it already and built it up into a 3d model and you can go through that so it's it's really quite a an interesting mm. sign now uh, we're okay. getting close to the end here just wanted to update you a bit on uh, working on this atlanta stuff i know you're interested in that oh absolutely i've been finding stuff that would astound when it's all printed and shown out uh, you know, uh, I checked three different translations of Greek uh, scholars uh, who translated Plato's work in the Timaeus and Critias uh, debates, where, where we get the information on Atlantis. And um, there were all in agreement about the size of Atlantis, the, the big island, and Atlantis, the little capital island. There are two islands. The big island, which incorporates the little island uh, for the capital and what they call the plain, uh, the 330 miles by 110 miles long, that feed into the, the ocean that was there, the sea. They all agree that the area of that entire Atlantic, you know, Atlantis um, uh, island was equal to or greater than the area of um, Turkey and a little bit of that, which is Asia Minor to the east of it, and Libya, ancient Libya, North Africa, all put together. So Stanley here, being you know bored with nothing to do, pulled up, <laughs> pulled up Sorry. Google Earth and started clicking away little outlines around what was ancient Libya. And Holly says, "What are you doing here? This click, 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 click." And I said, I'm, "I'm making a map. Just, just hold on." And I put these little dots all the way around what the best area I could find for ancient Libya, which is bigger than Libya we know today. And then I would put the little dots around trying to find, you know, mountains and streams and stuff that separated uh, Asia Minor, Turkey, and, you know, uh, the rest of Asia. And finally got that all into two um, dot, you know, outline outlines of those two regions. And I said, okay, to Google Earth, beautiful tool. I, cut. I tell you, digital archaeology would be lost without Google Earth. Anyway, I said, okay, what's the area of those two put together? And it was 1.35 uh, million square miles. I said, now that's a big island. If Atlantis is equal to that or greater, 1.35 million, where am I going to find 1.35 million miles in between those and, and behind the, the pillars of uh, Hercules? And, the, and I messed around and suddenly it leapt out at me like gangbusters. All of the Saudi Peninsula, all of it, the Persian Gulf, and this side of the mountains that go up into the bottom and just touch the edge of Asia Minor, was ancient Atlantis. I calculated it to the map again, then the little outline. The, the area of that is 1.3 million square miles. To get that, that's it. 
Okay. Now, in the Persian Gulf is where the, the, the little island is, or was. And right. in that area, after the great flood that washed uh, sand and soot up to 80 and 100 feet deep in the Persian Gulf area, after that, um, the the uh, the things that would be on the island are, are rather hard to, to locate. But there was a civilization on an island, Bahrain it's called now, that, that juts out. It's not really an island that jut off of the, the, the Arabian Peninsula there. Uh, today, I looked at that for the graves that were found there. There were thousands of graves that were round dome mounds, um, you know, and they're called the graves of the Dilmun civilization, which was a very advanced civilization that traded with people in the Indus River Valley and people up and into Iran and Iraq and that area there. And they've even found seals with inscriptions of the merchants and stuff in the Indus Valley from this Dilmun area. Now, they think that was Dilmun. And years ago, when I was first researching this in the late 80s, I found that the sheikh that controlled Bahrain got excited when the European archaeologists digging down about 80 feet started to find as they went lower and lower, the technology they found was more advanced as would have been if you had Atlanteans who were half human, half, you know, off-worlders, you know, fallen angels with technology. The sheikh said, no, we're going to take care of that ourselves, guys. Get out. And no more Europeans were allowed in. So we don't know what happened after that to the digs. But that area, I guarantee you, is the, the heart of Atlantis. And the, the whole Saudi Peninsula up to the, the Mediterranean, uh, not including the Sinai Peninsula, uh, is old Atlantis. And it, it, they said the main island, you know, the, the main island of Atlantis was surrounded by water. Well, you say, well, the Saudi Peninsula is connected to Asia Minor. No, I found when the, the great split of the, of the continents occurred, you know, the, we're talking about that in the Garden of Eden story, that it pushed up the area uh, at uh, in northern uh, Lebanon and Syria. It pushed that up and raised it up, but before that, that was all floodplain going from the Mediterranean straight to the Persian Gulf into the the uh, Sea of, of, of of um, uh, Arabia, and so all that was all, all surrounded by water. Three quarters of it is today, but that side uh, is now pushed up to where the um, the Tigris River and the Euphrates River they fall down over where the water used to run into the Mediterranean, and vice versa. So, I've been finding all kinds oh, of things, uh, artifacts that are definitely, you know, of the giants and things like that. Stan, I, I must ask when. Uh, do you plan on releasing your formal research findings about this? Th- this is amazing. Um, well, uh, I'm telling you some of it now, but the, the formal presentation will be at the uh, uh, July uh, conference in Colorado Springs with the Prophecy Watchers group. I, I'm not sure what day I'm speaking yet because um, they haven't sent us our papers, but uh, that's going to be one of the two lectures I'll give there. And, uh, you know, so I'm preparing, you know, slides and information as I go along. Uh, to put into that, but uh, it's fantastic, and you know, it explains so much. You know, um, Adam and Eve had, well, look, we're running out of time, but Adam and Eve had, you know, a couple kids and then a bunch more kids we don't know about, and they were marrying and intermarrying sister, brother, and things like that, and when the earth was all together, uh, you know, they could easily walk down into the Saudi Peninsula area and just a little boat ride across, and they were where 
where Plato's report said that the fallen ones, the sons of God, came and married daughters of man. And it's just like in Genesis 6. It's telling you right there. They're right next to each other. That's why they, they intermarried. This is fabulous. And uh, as we build up to your presentation at that conference in Colorado Springs, you're, you're just going to have to keep us informed. And, oh, man, this is fabulous. Between Garden of Eden and now Atlantis, connecting the dots. Uh, Stan, you are the real Indiana Jones, let me tell you. The digital Jones, eh? There you go. Uh, thank you. Uh, what an uplifting way to end the show, because to me, this is exciting. Uh, and it thanks is. For it's going to explain so many things, so many mysteries. Indeed. Oh, th- thank you so much for being our guest tonight, Stan, and every Tuesday night. Th- yeah, thanks for having you. Thank you, guys. Lord bless you now. That'll do us. That'll do it. Yeah, that'll. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tomorrow, open phone there we go. lines. Help me. Wednesday. That's a new thing we're doing. Yeah. And open lines Wednesday. Chrome Thursday. Right on. This is the Global Star Radio Network.